Welcome to Talking Heads, everybody. Episode 139, your once-weekly live show for the latest in beer and tech news. I'm Jeff. I'm Rhett. Welcome to the show, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us on this very uneventful Wednesday. Just uh, another day at work. Oh, man. Uh, we'll start out. How you doing tonight, Rhett? <laughs> doing pretty good. Yeah. Honestly, I'm sort of like living in your moment here a little bit. Kind of riding that high. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I've been like giddy all day long. Um, uh, basically I woke, I, I didn't have my stream scheduled to, or my announcement video scheduled to post because I didn't want it to post and me accidentally sleep in and miss like it by an hour or something like that. I wanted to see reaction real time. And so I woke up about six fifty, and then reached over, grabbed my phone and just hit, you know, post it. And, uh, uh, immediately saw huge numbers going to it. It's, it's, one of the best videos I've posted in a while, as far as like numbers go, it, it got 12, it got 10,000 hits in the first 12 hours, um, which is pretty good. Uh, I'll, I'll certainly take those numbers. Um, but uh, the, I kind of want to call it an outpouring, outpouring of support of like, you got this, uh, made me simultaneously like, want to cry because you guys are amazing and also just like giddy with excitement. So it's been a a fairly emotional high day. That and my wife decided to uh, pull the ultimate, you know, you got this move by buying a hundred t-shirts and sending them out to a bunch of patrons and other YouTubers and stuff like that. And so all of a sudden my Twitter just blew up. Uh, so every time I grab my phone, I have 70 notifications. I'll grab it three minutes later and I have another 70 notifications. It's, it's been nuts, but, uh, Regan, $2 first, got to keep the lights on for the stream. Thank you, buddy. Those studio lights, yes, uh, they're LEDs, but they still, they still draw a fair bit. So. Pennies a year, pennies a year. <laughs> pennies a year. We need it. Every, every bit counts. Regan, your donation has helped keep my lights on for the next 3.2 years. Thank you so much, sir. All right. If you've never seen the show before, today's going to be a little bit weird. We do have some beer news. We do have some tech news. We've got, I think, one entertainment story. Uh, uh, We do drink beer on the show. Quite obviously, it's in the name. I hope after 127,000 subscribers, you guys have figured that out. Uh, (laughs) But we do keep the content as family-friendly as humanly possible, uh, both language and content-wise. Yeah. Yeah. Twenty dollars, Novella Hub, uh, <laughs> uh, Prize Brewing, Minneapolis, Minnesota, twenty twenty, Lost Moon Russian Imperial Stout, twelve point six percent. Very nice, very nice. Uh, I didn't think anyone was going to beat me per, for ABV tonight, but there it is. That 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 bums there, me out. They, I might have to go back to the fridge. <laughs> uh, let's start with you, Rat. What are you drinking tonight? You you already got a glass. I am drinking. Yeah, yeah. It's it's nothing too fancy. It's a little fancier than last. Oh, did we lose Rhett? Mm. Oh, there he is. You cut did out you there entirely. Me? Oh yeah. No. Oh, I, I got you. God. I got your back now. Not but... again. Yeah, I think the FBI is on to me. I think they are too. I think I think they know what we're doing here. <laughs> Can't be drinking on a that, show. Uh, I'm going a little fancier. 
Yeah. yeah they're like, no more of this. This is uh, uh, 2017 whole cluster Pinot Noir from Willamette Valley Vineyards. Nice. Mm -mm -mm. Good stuff. Yeah. So for those who don't know, uh, while Oregon is is definitely a beer mecca as far as small breweries go, uh, microbreweries and things like that, uh, we're also one of the nation's largest wine producers. Uh, and we live right here in the heart of kind of wine valley for Oregon. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, God, Rhett, you live, what, three miles from, I think, the largest vineyard in Oregon? <laughs> Something if, like if that. If it's even that. Yeah, it's, it might even be yeah. closer. Yeah. Um, I have two literally within walking distance of my house. Like, I mean, it's a couple of miles, but I can get there. <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's kind of crazy. Whoa, super chats. Uh, $5 in Reverend. Uh, oh, my God. Breakside Air to Excess 10% BBA Stout, brewed with sea salt, caramel, hazelnuts, and chocolate. Oh, that is one of my favorite beers. That used yes. to be on tap at yep. Capital Tap Room, baby. Yep. No, so, break suit, so Breakside makes some really good stuff. Yeah, especially uh, anything with sea salt. Oh. Yes. Oh. Uh, this one have? Yep, this one's got sea salt in it too. Uh, Big Big Spoon, twenty four ninety nine. Boop! Congrats on quitting your stable career for YouTube. Right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we got a ten dollar donation. Scott, uh, happy early retirement and future crafty endeavors. Crafty things for life. Thank you, sir. Love it. Thank you all so much. That is awesome. Um, so I opened a scotch yesterday and I did truly open that bottle and film all of that yesterday. Um, so that was, uh, that was a lot of fun, but, uh, opened a special scotch. I figured I'd open a beer that I've been saving for a little while. Um, this one, not quite as long as others, but it's still a 2019 rare release. Um, this is the quint, uh, quintuple barrel aged, uh, big bad Baptiste. Um, let me read the description here. Imperial stout aged in whiskey and brandy barrels with roasted cocoa nibs, almond flavor, barrel aged coffee, barrel aged coconut, barrel aged almonds, barrel aged salt, and caramel flavor. Dang. That's now, delicious. Is there anything that didn't sound amazing on that list? No. I mean, maybe the caramel flavor at the end. Like, why didn't they just say caramel? But, yeah. Uh, oof. Uh, oh, by the way, 11.8% on this one. So. It's awkward it to pour from this angle. Looks and sounds like motor oil. It is thick. It is, uh, it's a thick one. That head's amazing. Oof. Yes. Hmm. <laughs> Uh, well, Hop says he has the same bottle. Yeah. I propose a toast to you, Jeff. Congratulations on the next big step. Hope you all raise a glass with me. Cheers, buddy. Thank you all. Thank you, Rhett. Very much so. All right. Uh, Nash, $5. First time watching the stream in real time. Good job on the self-employment. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, all right. Let's... Uh, Let's get into the news a little bit here. Uh, starting off with Microsoft made an announcement that they are closing almost all, or no, it, they changed it to all. Now closing all of the retail stores. Um, raise your hand if you knew Microsoft still had stores open. 
not everyone speak up at once here. Um, so there was a store in Oregon. There was there was a store. Gosh, where was that at? Was it Washington Square? Don't look at me. Yeah, we had a Microsoft store in Oregon. Um, I've never been there. Um, or no, it was uh, Clackamas Town Center is where it was at. But uh, yeah, um, I had completely forgotten that they had retail stores. And basically what it was, was they were trying to do what Apple did and like have a, a whole end-to-end customer retail experience. Yeah. It's just too much. Who goes to a store for Microsoft products anymore? You know, the closest I ever came was dealing with the rep at Best Buy. They had a mm-hmm. rep and he was a Microsoft employee mm-hmm. and he'd walk the floor, you know, four days a week or something and pitch products and help people out and stuff. That's as close as I ever got to going into a Microsoft retail store and it was Best Buy, right. <laughs> you know? Um, so I this move, in my opinion, I mean... They're not missing anything. They just were doing it, like you said, to kind of capture that end-to-end experience. Right. The thing that's always anymore. the thing that's always confused me about Microsoft is what is Microsoft? If I if I asked you to quantify Microsoft as what do they do? What is Microsoft? Right. Yeah, you'd be hard pressed to what kind of really company? pin anything down. They're a software company. That's all they are. They're a software company. They're a service provider. They're they're things like that. They do do some hardware, but on the hardware side, they've never ever been an end-to-end customer base. Um, and even in the Microsoft stores, they sold Asus and Lenovo and Dell, and you know you kind of go down the list of of things that they had at their retail stores, and most of them weren't Microsoft products. Obviously, they have their Surface lineup whatever that looked like in in the you know years that they started it and then kind of faded out um because i mean they've had everything from like the microsoft like 24 inch surface touch screen to um the original microsoft surface name was for a 40 inch table (laughs) (laughs) did they ever release that uh it was released it was something like thirty thousand dollars or something absolutely insane like that and it was a rear projection infrared touch panel uh, that you could recreate with a couple of uh, Sony webcams. Um, I mean, it wasn't this insanely Mind complicated blowing. device, yeah. right? Uh, I mean, it was cool, but yeah. Uh, got a couple more super chats here. Civil, fifteen dollars. Congrats and love you guys. Cheers. Love Cheers, you too, man. Cheers, sir. Uh, Skull, fifty Oof. bucks. 50 big ones. And those Wait, are US currencies. These guys have been hanging on to this all these weeks. No, I'm kidding. I, I think they've I think they've been they've been holding out on me, is what's going on. They're saving it up for the big show. Yeah. Uh Skull, 50 bucks. You made me break out the big bottle for this auspicious occasion. Van Weekle Special Reserve. Oh. oh. Excellent. There's not many things that will make me jealous, and I think that's one of them. This is really good, but I'm not like in love with it. Um, it's It's got a really strong cocoa flavor, but you know how stouts get like heavier the further into the flavor you get? This yeah. one has a really hollow center section. Mm. Like up front, I taste like a little bit of that, that dark chocolate note and a little bit of saltiness and whatnot. 
And then in the back, it it just it's gone. I, I'm I don't get the coffee, I don't get the almond, I don't get half of the things that they say are in here. I don't taste any caramel. Um I get a little bit of whiskey. I get a little bit of the whiskey barrel, but there there's not half of what's on that list in this in this beer. Maybe when it warms up, because I did just pull it straight out of the fridge. But yeah, I was gonna say I bet you at like fifty degrees or something, it's mm-hmm. probably got a little bit more room for those flavors to mingle. Yeah, maybe once you get a little bit more into the glass too, you know, and you kind of get that that room for yeah, you know, I'm told the glass matters. <laughs> totally does, which is why I went with the uh, the proper yeah, exactly tasting mug. Uh, let's see. Congrats, sir. John J. Five bucks. Thank you so much, John. I appreciate it. Um, let's see. I got a $20 X99 CPU to test my dead PC. Very nice. Did you get like a 2603, 2609V3, I think? You can pick those up about 20 bucks. They're just a six core, six thread. I think 1.8 gigahertz. It'll get the job done. It's faster than Rhett's PC. Hey. <laughs> I should know. I gave you that chip. <laughs> Everybody knows where I got those parts. I know. It's entombed forever. Doesn't mean I can't point it out again. <laughs> uh, Becca, congrats, Jeff. I'm not as rich as Skull, but I am cuter. I do not deny that one bit. Uh, thank you so much, <laughs> Becky. Um, happy to support Kraft. You rock. You guys rock. You you and Nat both. You guys are awesome. Uh, but yeah, the, my point about Microsoft is they're a software company. And they've always tried to compete with Apple on Apple's grounds. They've always said, well, Apple came out with a retail store. We need to compete in the retail market. No, you don't yeah. because Af- Apple's an end-to-end provider. Apple provides the hardware and the software and all the experiences around it. Microsoft provides the software and sometimes keyboards and sometimes mice and sometimes laptops. There, There's no parallel there. <clears throat> so I've always questioned why Microsoft always felt like it had to enter these markets and compete with Apple when they're two completely different companies. Similar, similar origins, but two completely different companies. Yeah, I, I've always kind of wanted the same thing. And it's always, you know, in regard to their hardware, it's like there's very little innovation. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a lot of just, you know, sort of trend following, it feels like. Yeah. Um, you know, like, when did I see my first Microsoft phone or like first Windows phone? Like, was that a thing as early as like 2010? <clears throat> um Microsoft phone? Yeah. It was yeah, right about then. The the Windows 8 phone. Still, so you're looking at you know, I don't know, years of No, that that would have been Windows 7 still in 2010. You would have been looking like 2013 or 14 for Windows 8. I guess so it was a little bit later. Yeah. So, I don't know. You know, it's like they built this whole operating system kind of designed around touchscreen that like nobody wanted to touch you know nobody could wait for freaking windows 8.1 so you could just like go back to 
you know, the glory of Windows 7 or whatever. Right. Um, again, I don't know. It just it, it, It's always catch-up. And uh, I think that's kind of Microsoft's MO. I mean, they got the one thing, and it's just basically, you know, Windows. Don't yeah. don't get me wrong. Bill Gates does stuff with his money. I, that's yeah. what rich people have to do. So I guess he's always going to want to play catch-up. Oh, well, it's working for old Steve Jobs. You know, we were in that movie together. You ever see Pirates of uh, Sinai? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, copy him. <laughs> yeah. And, but it, it, it's always just, I, I think you nailed it. I, Microsoft always tries to follow the trends rather than setting them. And there are certain trends that they try to set that just never catch on. Um, and I think it's just a disconnect between what they think their customers need. Um, right. And in, in a lot of regards, they're, kind of like um i don't know if you watched any of linus's rants last week uh um on intel on intel's right. marketing slides um for those who didn't i'll kind of summarize that uh intel is trying to play both sides of the fence where they're they're claiming amd is using benchmarks that don't show real world performance or applications that people actually use when amd's saying cinebench is a well-regarded you know, CPU benchmark, and it's a program that people actually use in Cinema 4D. Um, and it's 89 to 90% of the way there to telling you how a CPU will perform against another CPU. Sometimes it, it edges up and down depending on what application you're in. But for the most part, I trust Cinebench for the almost a be all end all as far as equal cores, equal threads, which will perform better. Um, so, yeah, it's just, but at the same time, Intel is also throwing out like video encoders you've never heard of because they take advantage of, of Intel, um, gosh, their, their video encoding engine instead of NVENC or CUDA or, you know, any other tech like that, that almost every other program has. Um, and it, it's just this disconnect between what their customers want and what their customers are using to what they're arguing for and what technologies they're trying to chase after. It, it's just weird. Uh, I don't know why they, they haven't seemed to gotten or get it at this point. Uh, more Super Chats rolling in. Tom, buddy old pal. Good to see you on the show. Uh, I think I'll announce it now. Uh, for those uh, who have been asking for special guests on the show... Tom Lawrence, Lawrence Systems, will be joining us in two weeks here on Talking Heads, July 15th. Mark it down. But, whop, whop, whop. Uh, whop, whop. Uh, but Tom, thank you so much. $50 donation. Congrats, but please use this to buy some Michigan beer. Uh, I will do that, sir. I will get on to Tavor and I will uh, order me up some Michigan beer. Uh, uh, Romnipotent, Romnipotent. I never... I've never actually asked you how to uh, correctly say your, your handle there, but uh, uh, hundred Australian, congrats. Good luck. Back to work. Thank you for uh, taking time out of your day. Appreciate it. Thanks buddy. Uh, Sakura, uh, tacos rule. Congrats. $2. <laughs> it's not That's... Tuesday, but I will use that next Tuesday. Uh, I love novella hub, novella hubs, uh, comment $5 red as a young Howard Cosell with that orange microphone. <laughs> okay. Why not? It's red, but I'll yeah. take orange. Yeah, it's the lights. Uh, Allie, $5. Good to see you smiling. Enjoy the freedom. Thank you so much. Uh, Remy, 20 bucks. Congrats on your new big move. Now turn off those extra wall lights. We are not made of money. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, let's see. I've got 
6, 8, uh, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, at least 16 light sources going into 17 light sources. 18, 19, 20. A lot of light sources going in this room. <laughs> I like light. Um, Who doesn't? So thank you, Remy, for keeping my LEDs going for another month. Uh, cajoling Technologies, four ninety nine. I've never seen Sure Beta fifty eight on a live stream, Bob Barker style. <laughs> Bob Barker wishes he used Sure, baby. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm, maybe he does. I don't know what he uses. He also he always used like the weird gooseneck. Yeah, you know. I, I'm not a fan of it. It looks yeah, the really long, long skinny guy. Yeah, it looks extra creepy <laughs> congrats on going full-time inspiring for us smaller tech channels thank you so much and uh you'll get there you'll get there uh Regan, two dollars it just came across his channel he's a solid dude um i think i've seen a video or two of his um forgive me i don't remember your name but i i, I have seen your channel so and tom says excited to join the video yeah you'll see him right here eight o'clock uh or 11 o'clock Michigan time. He's going to stay up late for us uh, on uh, July 15th. Uh, excited to have you. All right. Uh, what else do we got here? Uh, we do have some Intel news. Speaking of uh, the good old boys over at Intel. Uh, so Intel has all but confirmed a new socket for their 12th gen processors. <laughs> Go figure. <laughs> what? A new socket from Intel? Never. Already? Never. Not, they wouldn't screw over customers like that. They're all about backwards compatibility and upgradability. Uh, so, you know, the whole 1200 chip that literally just came out like three months ago? Yeah. Uh, by the time 12th generation comes and they finally start dropping 10 nanometer chips, uh, that socket is going away. Um and it's going to be replaced by the LGA 1700. Presumably, if Intel sticks with their naming scheme like they have for the last 100 years or so, uh, it will likely have about 500 more pins than the LGA 200 or 1200. Uh, and this one's a little bit weird. It is a hybrid chip is what Intel is calling it. Uh, for those who are confused by that nomenclature, uh, their hybrid chip is taking a... Uh, some cues from ARM's Big Little architecture, where it is some high-powered cores as well as some low-power cores for, you know, basic multitasking, web browsing, you know, YouTube decoding, things like that. And then heavier-powered cores for video editing, gaming, you know, render workloads. Um, and uh, it, it works for ARM. We'll see if it works for Intel. Because it's going to be very curious to see, number one, is the software support ever going to arrive for that? How is that going to look? Is this going to be like a driver thing where you install the driver for it and it automatically schedules itself? Uh, can you turn off the low power cores if you only want high power? Can you turn off the high power cores if you only want low power? Uh, maybe battery life's your your main goal. Um, but uh yeah, it's going to be based very similar to that, where it's probably going to be, you know, four or six or eight processing cores on a single die, and then an additional four or eight or two, knowing Intel, uh, processing cores that are lower powered, maybe a couple of watts each versus, you know, 12 watts each. Um, so kind of some interesting changes. And 
I understand in this case why they're going to a new chip. They're likely going to need different power delivery, maybe different voltages being delivered to the chip in, in different areas, um, and maybe not wanting to do the voltage conversion on the chip, but maybe do it, you know, before it arrives to the chip where you have, you know, coming into the pins and you can give the low power cores lower voltages than the high power cores, and maybe you need more pins for that. I don't know. Uh but there's also speculation it might come with more PCI Express lanes, more I.O. It hasn't really been Intel's M.O. as of late to add PCI Express lanes to uh, their consumer chips, but who knows? Maybe, they, uh, maybe they're warming up to, you know, letting people use all the slots in their computers for once. Now, I know like I'm sound like I'm harping on Intel, but it's just patterns repeating themselves over and over and over again. It's so easy. It is. It really is. One um, can harp when there is harping to be had, and one can praise when there is praising to be had. Yes. It's that simple. It's yes. it's not as though we hate Intel. But but to be clear, Intel dug their own hole that they're trying right. to climb out of right now. Exactly. Um So yeah, I I'm sure it'll still perform well, but there's a lot of unanswered questions to is this actually the architecture they're going to use moving forward? Is this rumor even true that this is big little architecture style or hybrid architecture as, as Intel is calling it? Um, there have been some unconfirmed reports by uh, Hardware Info that it's seen processors like this on, on its databases uh, where there's multiple uh, wattages of cores running on the same chip on an LGA 1700. Um, and Intel has confirmed that LGA 1700 is a real thing and will be released uh, for 12th gen. Um, but uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, the rumored thermal limit for Alder Lake, which is their 12th gen chip, is 125 watts, uh, which is going to put it on the same grounds as the higher end Comet Lake chips. They're uh, Comet Lake 10th or 11th. Got it. Your internet is. Connection is unstable. Mine is? Yeah. How about that? Huh? Wow. FBI is on to you. Wow. Maybe John was right. <laughs> Maybe it was me the whole time. Well, nah, it is Comcast. Dude. Intel has got their team of hackers pointed right at you right now. <laughs> like, how dare he? Take him down. Uh, $10, James Kelly, congrats on your freedom from the man. Now the producer has more power. Yeah. <laughs> yes, now my producer holds all, holds all the cards. <laughs> um, uh, Jeff, $20, great name. Uh, congrats, love the channel. Uh, beers on me, cheers. Thank you so much, man. Cheers to you. So... A lot of these are unsubstantiated rumors, but at the same time, they they have at least some truth to them and some confirmations to them as well. Um, and so it's alleged that Alder Lake will also be going to PCI Express 4.0 as well as DDR5 uh, and moving to 125 watt TDP chips with a high power, low power. I don't know if that's a total thing like all the cores are cranked at the same time it's 125 or if they're going to give 125 to the big processing cores and then you know 12 to the lower processing cores 
I don't know if they're just straight up lying and saying, well, at 1.8 gigahertz, it'll draw 125 watts, but we have a 4.7 turbo boost because they've been doing that for years as well. What's a draw under load? 213. <laughs> uh, and I apologize if I sound a little scattered tonight. It's been kind of a long day. <laughs> long day and now Intel's shutting you down. Yeah, now now all of a sudden they're they're uh, coming after my stream and rate limiting my my connection. They know they're, how they're, they're in it with Comcast. Yeah, they're, they know how vulnerable you are now that you ain't got that uh, that leg to stand on anymore. <laughs> I don't have that cushy job to fall yeah, back on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like get them while the while the getting's good. Mm-hmm. Oh. oh, let's see. What do you guys want to talk about in chat? Because like I said, we don't have a lot of uh, of topics up here. I think we only have three stories left. Yeah, we're about to burn through them all. We could burn through them. We could go to like nine o'clock and then just kind of open it up for an AMA. Uh, we could start talking Star Trek. <laughs> we could do a lot of different things. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Can't start that half hour into the show. I mean, we could, and we have. <laughs> we'll never get out of it. <laughs> cars uh red are you a car guy or not i i don't remember we talk about this on the show all the time i know we do and i always have to say like (laughs) i don't even remember what my stereotypical answer has been like i'm not like i guess i'm not a car guy yeah do i appreciate cars yes i'm about i'm i'm like the average top gear fan you know, I'm not like I Jeremy watch it Clarkson's because... really funny. <laughs> well, and not that. I think that the content is interesting, obviously. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I'm not like a car power user. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think of the right terminology to like draw the connection here. Um, I, I, have, I have no problem with this. No Craft computing this. could talk about retro gaming. Oh, Ooh. dog. You want to talk about retro gaming? Yeah, he, he knew right where my weakness was right now because I, I uh, I've, I've had a soft spot for retro gaming as of lately. And in fact, I have a couple of retro builds coming up on the channel. Um, oh, nice. So, like, we're going to live like it's 1996 kind of thing. <laughs> nice. Uh, not quite rebuilding my first PC, but it's close. And it's actually a PC that I... It's, it's a chip that I never had when I was younger. And, and I always wished that I did. Uh, and now I have one, so I'm going to build a PC with it. Uh, but I, I have a, a large collection of things, but at the same time, I try to limit the things that I collect, if that makes any sense. Um, and getting into retro computer gear, most of it's big, most of it's heavy and most of it's worthless. And I enjoy it but I can't keep it unless it's small enough where I could put it on a shelf and it doesn't take away room from anything else. And so I have a build coming up that is a uh, Pentium retro Windows 95, Windows 98 SE era box uh, that is not going to be period correct, but is going to be like 
period correct with modern enhancements. So I am going to use a compact flash card instead of an IDE drive. Uh, I am going to use a newer graphics card, um, newer than the age of the rest of the PC. I am using a newer sound card. Um, uh, I'm using a floppy emulator instead of actual floppy disks because I don't have that kind of time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, the whole computer, I think, is 12 inches by 4 inches by 8 inches or something like that. Like it's it's legit like this big like that <laughs> so it can slide into like any shelf that i own it will almost fit on one of these these shelves behind me like i could just set it on one of those shelves so uh it's going to be a cool build in fact i have a couple of retro themed stuff coming up so if you're kind of like an lgr or phil's computer lab fan uh, I, I have a couple builds coming nice. up which are kind of like an homage to them so. nice yeah that that's kind of the hard part about old tech is that, yeah, like beyond like certain specific, you know, I guess like nostalgic purposes, like mm-hmm. it, it's just like, why, you know, that, that that's yeah. what I keep coming back to. And it's like, I used to hang on to so much stuff and it's like, man, I could just emulate this stuff. And, and if I want to play old school games, I can just play old school games now, you know? Yeah. Um, it's really hard for me to justify. And I'm a pack rat. Like if I turn this camera around guys, you would be shocked and frightened for me. Uh, I cleaned <laughs> this little section up so that I didn't look like I needed help. Yeah. Um, but Do I need I, to call someone? Uh, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Call Bailey. I, be like, get I him out of there. Wife. <laughs> it's a health hazard in that damn room. Intervention now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, seriously, it's like, I, you know, every once in a while I come through here and I try to organize this room and I do a fairly good job, but then, you know, I go into the garage and I'm like, Oh, wouldn't this be cool though to like display in the office. And then Mm -hmm. it just ends up in a pile, like in the corner or on a, just in a box on the shelf. It's like, Oh my God. Um, Uh, So I keep a uh, couple of DOS box images on my PCs at all times. And I keep a backup of it on my, my NAS Uh, But I usually keep a working copy of Windows 3.11 with a drive of Windows games and a drive of DOS games. And so at any time I can load them up. I know the settings for all the games and and I've got hundreds of them on there, Uh, most of which I actually ripped off original discs. Like like I'm an Abandonware fan as much as anyone else, but most of them I I already owned Um, and probably still own in boxes in my garage. But... uh, there's an era of games which is really hard to emulate. And that's the 95 through 2000 games uh, because they were Windows 95, uh, 16-bit based, just entering 32-bit, you know, Windows 32 binaries. Um, the graphics that were around then, which was 3DFX, Voodoo, you know, th- those technologies, those technologies got passed by by ATI NVIDIA. Um, they, those companies and those technologies kind of are owned by the other companies, but they're, the way you rendered them is not in the current graphics technology stack. And so if you simply plug in an old game to a new driver stack, it's not going to render the same. It's not going to look the same. Um, if you play it on a modern LCD, they weren't meant to be played on an LCD. They were meant to be played on, you know, on a CRT, um, just like old retro arcade games. Uh, and it's not just a you know, oh, four by three, three versus widescreen. No, it's a, sometimes there weren't square pixels. (laughs) Uh, And 
all kinds of stuff like that. You have DirectX incompatibilities. You have uh, probably one of the most famous ones is DirectX 6 games are notoriously difficult to play even on systems of the day because Microsoft screwed up their naming scheme. And so sometimes you would install DirectX 7 and it said, sorry, you need to install DirectX 6 or higher. And you're like, but I have DirectX 7. It's like, no, you need 6 or higher. And it's because they like took out some of the numbers from 7. And so it's like, oh, 7 is lower than 6. I'm sorry. And they never fixed it. And uh, there's so many little idiosyncrasies like that. Not only that, but the installers were usually written in 16-bit, which can't run on modern systems. And so all of your old LucasArts games, you know, your X-Wing versus TIE Fighter and, and, and games like that, uh, until recently, until they started hitting good old games, couldn't be played on a modern PC. Um, you have you have speed issues with ones that play too fast and break the game engine. You, I mean, yeah. there are so many different things about that era of games that is difficult to replicate and emulate even in modern systems, even with wrappers, even with, you know, all the tech that we have. And so there's kind of a piece of me that's always wanted to rebuild one of those machines. And that's kind of what I'm doing. Nice. Yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. Like, yeah, I never quite thought about it th that way, but completely valid reason to like reach into the Wayback machine and build a machine like that. Like that's legit. I'm excited to see what you're going to do with that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, my first PC ever that I built was a 486DX2. Um, and uh, I've, I've told this story a couple times on the channel, but uh, that was my first PC build. Now, that was a lot of fun to build. Not only build, but go source the parts and, and find all the stuff because I bought it all secondhand. Um, and then uh, the first PC that I built brand new was a uh, AMD K62. Uh, 475 megahertz. <laughs> yeah. Smoking. Smoking. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's a lot of fun. I, I like going back and, and playing retro games. And uh, This last weekend, I was jamming out to uh, One Must Fall, if you've ever played that one. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Uh, what am I drinking, Jeff? Uh, quintuple Barrel-Aged Big Bad Baptiste. 11.8%. Barrel-Aged everything. Um. And so far, it's just okay. Like, it should be better, but it's just okay. Mine is good. <laughs> it's very good. It's not amazing, but it ain't bad. Nostalgia is a hell of a drug. Uh, I've been buying some interesting, at least to me, high-end systems that came out since I started building computers. So far, I've got a, uh, I've got three 1366 Xeon systems and an i7-3820. Um, never had... Until I bought a Chinese X79 board, I had never owned an X79 system. I had an X58 system and I jumped straight to X99. So I skipped that platform in between. Um, but uh, yeah, X58's a, a really fun platform to play with. Um, X79's a fun platform to play with. Uh, yeah, they're all fun. But uh, yeah, nostalgia is a hell of a drug. And thus far I've avoided spending too much money because I wanted something that was old. Uh, pay no attention to the Intel bunny people that I have on my back shelf there. <laughs> I got mine somewhere too. Do you? Yeah. I've always meant I, to I pull that out for a stream. I, I had one and I went ahead and bought another two because I found a good deal on eBay. Yeah. The one that you had originally is the same one I have. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I got I got a green one and I got a yellow one with a laptop. Oh. He's holding a laptop. Which oh. I have never seen before. 
He's a ritzy boy. Yes. Or gal. Ritzy person. Let's go yeah, there. Ritzy person. Yeah. How dare you, Rhett? I know. All I can do is try my best Just like next that, time. craft computing has been canceled. Nonsense. <laughs> I will do better next time, everyone. This Make I promise. Make assumptions about bunny people. <laughs> yeah. Gosh. Uh, yeah. Um, what's the what's the weirdest thing you've ever spent way too much money on? Let's let's go there. So, God, I don't the know. Most esoteric you've... or just like, I have to have that thing. Looking around the office, I don't know. So I have a big problem of like spending money on. So like musical instruments are kind of like my advice, um, and I'm not sure if I've showed it on on stream before but like i have like a really weird like handmade like cigar box kind of guitar uh -huh. it's not actually a cigar box it's just made to like look like one i don't think i spent too much money on it uh <laughs> because i like it and i enjoy it and i play it um but it's probably things like that like um i have just a collection of bizarre instruments and uh, you know i've got all sorts of different drums, all sorts of different percussion, all sorts of different guitars and little stringed instruments, all sorts of different little flutes. Mm -hmm. um, I'm struggling to say that I spent too much money on it. Um, what about you, though? While well, I think about something else. Um, well, I, I did buy last month a, a new bass on an impulse. Um, it, well, it's been something I've wanted for a while, but I've never found like the right combination that I wanted. Uh, so I have, uh, I, I really like ukuleles. I have quite a few ukuleles. Um, uh, the stringed instrument that I play the most anymore is my baritone ukulele. And I, I love it. Um, it's a uh, Cordoba and it's great. It, it, not electric, just a very basic acoustic baritone ukulele. And it sounds amazing. Um, but uh I have a bass ukulele. I have an electric bass ukulele and it's uh it's the company that's owned uh owned by Rondo Music. It's Hadeen. Uh and they basically copied the Kala ukulele bass. Uh both the acoustic and the electric. And uh I found this this electric ukulele bass a number of years ago uh in an estate sale and paid 100 bucks for it. And the funny thing about ukulele basses is they're used as travel basses for people who like full full size bass or want, you know, like a double bass sound, but don't want to own a double bass. Uh, and people never sell them because they buy one of them and then that is their ukulele bass. And so they never come up on the used market. And so finding one on, for a hundred bucks, no less on the used market is kind of rare, but uh, I bought it. It's fretted. It has these weird strings on it. They're like these rubberized strings. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and I've, I've played it and it's okay. Like it's, it's not the greatest intonation. It's not the greatest feel. You have to move really deliberately and slower and, uh, and whatnot. And I tend to be a little bit more of a jazz bassist. So I like to, to walk and move and, and whatnot. And that one just didn't fit me at all. It sounded really cool, but it didn't fit me at all. So I found a Hadeen fretless acoustic U-Bass and I found a company that makes a steel core string for it. Nice. That has been the most fun I have had playing bass in quite some time. 
<laughs> so every spare chance I get right now, if I'm like waiting for a benchmark to run, it's like, oh, gonna grab the U base, and and I just go and rock on it for for ten yeah, minutes nice. at a time. <laughs> yeah, there's something about having an instrument uh, easy uh, within reach when you're working mm-hmm. on projects like that. It's like yeah. works out the mind. It's, yeah, d- uh, downstairs it's nothing way. but ukuleles, and I have one electric guitar and one bass guitar. Nice, nice. Uh, nice price. Congratulations. $10 donation. Thank you. Uh, glad you can do your own thing now and props on taking a risk on yourself. Although I don't know much of a risk since you make really good content. It's always a risk when you're giving up a really good job. Um, and I had a really good job and, and I loved my job for a, a good number of years, but the job satisfaction started going down and the satisfaction with YouTube started going up and, there are some needs here at my house that started going up as well. And and when you start weighing all those factors, this was the easy decision to make. Now, it's not the smartest decision financially because like I said, I'm taking a very easy job in which I had a lot of tenure, a lot of seniority and probably could have retired at uh, and literally starting over. Uh, so it's it's very much a risk. and And I'm kind of at the whim of, the YouTube gods and the algorithm right now. Uh, I mean, I, I do YouTube and I'm trying to branch out to other things, but if YouTube goes away right now, those other things go away too. Without YouTube, I don't get Amazon affiliate sales and I don't get Patreon and I don't get, you know, all the other ad revenues that I have. And so it's an important thing to keep YouTube going, uh, even though they're by far not the biggest payout that I get. So, but thank you. Uh, it is a risk still, and I'm looking forward to meeting that challenge. It's 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 kind of a weird, weird uh, juxtaposition on the day because it's a celebration. It's it's Jeff retired. You know, you know, I I left my job. I don't work <laughs> for the man. I work for myself now. And it's like, yeah, he made it. No, I started <laughs> today. I started. Yeah. <laughs> And and keeping myself in that mindset is, I think, going to be the most difficult thing through the next week. Is is I haven't arrived, I I made it to the switchover point. Yeah, I think the key thing, and you don't need me telling you this, but I guess just for the sake of conversation, it's like the key thing in those moments is just like remembering that the work doesn't do itself. You know, it's like it's got to get yep. done, and sometimes just buckling down and working twice as hard for a little bit of time, remind you kind of what's at stake. At least that's how it was for me, you know. Um, just always needed that kind of constant reminder that like, oh yeah, there's no real place building I can go to now and just like clock mm-hmm. in and clock out and like get the bills paid. Um, and uh, yeah, that can get stressful from time to time. <laughs> Question to all, who can remember remember their Win9X install code? <laughs> Um, I had all of mine memorized from from 95 to 98, um, and it wasn't the 1, 2, 3, OEM, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. It wasn't that one. It wasn't the, the cheating way. Um, I, I had the Windows 95, Windows 98. Um, I had a Windows 2000 code memorized at some point, and then my organization has had uh, volume license keys for the last number of years, and so I knew all of their volume license keys by heart. Um, anymore, we do them all by batch files, and so... You know, it's it's done before you before you even get to the Windows desktop. It, the key is applied, and it's already contacted your activation server, and yada yada yada. 
Um, but yeah, uh, XJ69P. <laughs> I could go on. <laughs> VKRWK, RPWPK. I'm going to stop there and leave the last 10 to your imagination. <laughs> so yeah, sucker. I still got it. Um, let's see. I wish I fit in an MX-5 at six foot five. It does not go well. Yeah, I don't fit in an MX-5 either. I'm also <laughs> six foot four, six foot four, six foot five, right in that range. And uh, yeah, I can't sit in a Miata. It doesn't work. Have you tried being shorter? Um, you know, I tried. I, I tried not having anxiety. Uh, that didn't go so well either. Um, you know, it's like, well, have you just tried not being sad? <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, yeah, if it was that easy, why wouldn't we all do it? Skull O one one eight nine nine nine. Eight eight one nine 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 one one five seven two five three. Somebody in chat mentioned uh, spending way too much money on Magic: The Gathering cards. I too was that way. Uh, I parsed down my collection significantly, like five years yeah. ago. Um, I well, probably even before five years ago, actually. Now, uh, the last block that I really played in was like the Innistrad block. Mm-hmm. Um, I think like Return to Ravnica was in there. Wait. Turn around. It's probably the next block, right? Probably confusing things. Anyway, uh, that was like right around when I stopped playing, and it was the same thing. Just picked out the valuable cards, shipped them on eBay, and moved on. <laughs> I mean, it's one of those. That I'm always kind of embarrassed to think about how much money I spent on paper to like do nothing but like go down to the local shop and like show it off uh, to other nerds. Um, not that it wasn't fun. It was a lot of fun. But uh, just like anything competitive, you know, I always got like too wrapped up in it in the wrong ways and the wrong reasons. Mm-hmm. Then you got to ask yourself, it's like, I mean, if this thing was supposed to be fun, why is it so stressful? And so now I just play at home. Yeah. Um, let's see. Someone mentioned something. Jeff, will you miss all, uh, some of your coworkers? Absolutely, I will. Um, there's uh, at least a couple of them there that I worked with all 13 years that I was there. And... Uh, and they know who they are, and I bet one of them's watching the show right now. And so you're, you're damn right I'm going to miss my coworkers, most of them. <laughs> um, but overall, it was it was a very good job, and I'm definitely going to miss the daily interactions, the 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 good parts of the job that I really enjoyed. Um, I'm not going to miss some of the stress, some of the late nights, some of the data center failures. The you know, you're there at sunday at 2 a.m because there's a power outage or there's this or there's that uh not gonna miss that not gonna miss that at all um in fact two weeks ago i was in on a tuesday at 11 p.m for a uh for a power outage at one of the data centers and it drained the ups's dry and the generators didn't kick on and so i had to rush 30 miles out to to go fix it and uh <laughs> that was just a random tuesday night I don't have that anymore. <laughs> so, uh, but yes, the, the coworkers, the, the people that I met there and the people that I worked with very closely there, absolutely, I'm going to miss them. Um, Nub here says that uh, I used to have a black lotus. Don't know what happened to it. At least I think that's what he says. Oh, guy used to work with swore he had a black lotus. I didn't believe ah. it. 
that's kind of the funny thing about Magic the Gathering is that like everybody you, in there, everyone knows one person who had a who had a foil black lotus back when they you know opened yeah. the expansion pack and sold it for like six bucks. Yeah, that's everybody says it all the time. They're like, oh, dude, like my my friend's brother had a black lotus. You know, the thing is, is like, I mean, I've seen a black lotus. Like, I know a bunch of people that have. Them. I've seen a couple of them. And what's crazy is like never I'll, in the wild. Right. Yeah. What's crazy I've is... I've never seen uh, a guy flipping through his stack and through all of his plastic-covered cards and goes, oh, yeah, there's Black Lotus. Never happened. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, it's just one of those weird cards that for some reason it's like persisted through the myth of uh, of time, basically, yeah. with, with magic. Um, but it just cracks me up because I, I remember this story where my friend's brother was like, yeah, you know, we were kids, so we ate all this up. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, I... I I used to have a black Lotus, but then, you know, wizards of the coast, like paid me to drive it to the beach and rip it up and throw it in the ocean. And I shit you not. Like that was like a real story that this guy told, like that was real. Like repeatedly. Yeah. All the time. <laughs> yeah. That didn't happen. No, it didn't happen because they don't care. Like, I'm going to go out on that limb and say that didn't happen. It, it's crazy how valuable it is. And honestly, I think the value of the card is like perpetuated by like the enduring myth of the card, because like mm -hmm. you can't use it in tournament play so right. you know it, it's literally just a collector item at this point yeah uh, yeah and nub says i don't remember being that good of a card it's not a good card no. I, I mean it's it's good it, it i think it's like has no mana cost you put it down and you can cast it as an interrupt and you get three mana of any one color there's right. other cards that like do very close to that nowadays it's not yeah. the same but um yeah, there are creatures that you can tap for two mana at a time. There, you know, you can either yeah. attack with them or you can tap them for two white or you know whatever. Yeah, whatever you want. So that that ability is not, you know, foreign to the game, and yeah. and that card, while its main value was early on in the game, if you're trying to get a big creature out and you draw that card and you and you play that card. You can lay down whatever you want and mow through your opponent before they have a chance to get a defense set up. That's the only value of that card. Yeah. Civil <laughs> uh, says, I used to have a black lotus. Then I took an arrow to the knee. Um, Reverend also says, there's something like 60,000 black lotuses in circulation. Yeah. Okay. That's not a rare card. No. Um, I mean, I guess it is, but still. Yeah, uh, and then Lethal Resonance says it's worth 42k on TCG Player. In fact, I just saw a story. The reason I even thought to talk about this is because I'm pretty sure... Yeah, uh, here's a story on Polygon um, from 2019. Uh, Magic the Gathering's Black Lotus sells for 166000 at auction, mm -hmm. doubling its last known value. Um, so that was in 2019. Um, um, here, here's a Black Lotus on T TCG Player for fifty three hundred right now. Yeah, I, I, I swear to God, it has to be the myth of the card. Yeah. It's, like, it's, it's the myth of the card. It's the collectability of the card. Yeah, um, it, it's the story, you know, because right. all, all the people that are buying this freaking card grew up with their friends, older brothers, saying that they ripped it up saying and that threw it in the one. ocean. Right. Yeah. Oh, I, I had one. I swear, I had one came in an expansion pack and oh you know it just didn't fit my style of play three instant mana right. fits your style of play i'm sorry yeah yeah anyway 
Thanks for that tangent. People are now getting crazy about Black Lotus. Yeah. I stand by it. <laughs> it's only valuable because of the myth. Anyway, so yeah, anyway. that's another thing I spent a lot of money on was magic. <laughs> <laughs> Lotus one, two, three. Word star. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, you guys are great. I love you guys. I love this. This is so much fun. <laughs> uh, what else can we talk about? Uh, I guess we can jump into a little bit of beer news. I've got a couple of, uh, of things here. Yeah, we'll it's kind of nine o'clock. And we'll jump back into whatever we feel like. Uh, fermentation experts at White Labs are now packaging their beer and showcasing their yeast strains. And this is kind of news because Yeast is one of those really closely guarded secrets in a lot of the fermentation process for a lot of different breweries. Um, and there are hundreds and thousands of different strains of yeast and they all do different things and eat sugar and poop out alcohol at different rates and do different things with flavor profiles and whatnot. And the fact that they're now disclosing yeast profiles and yeast strains within their marketing, um, I mean, for years, people have been doing, you know, oh, we're using Citra and Mosaic hops in this. And, and you can find a beer that matches your flavor profile, that matches the flavors that you're looking for in a beer based on what hops did they put in it? What malts did they put in it? We may very be very quickly be coming to a day where what yeast you put in with mixed with what malts and whatever else gives you X beer. Um, so kind of a cool thing. And the more information you have, the better informed as a consumer you can always be um but uh white labs is doing it uh brewed with wlp 001 california ale yeast doesn't make for the most attractive of marketing slogans but uh now i'm sure we're gonna see before too long actual named yeast strains <laughs> um you know because you got to get the the tiger tail or whatever the right heck the marketing people get a hold of right you know, one, uh, if you guys are interested in... Have you uh, tried Snow Dragon yeast yet? Yeah, you got to get that Snow Dragon yeast. Well, Snow remember Dragon. it was uh, Rogue Brewery did that wild yeast beer. Yeah. And one of them, one of the wild yeast uh, strains they collected out of a, a guy's beard and they like brewed beer with it. Remember mm -hmm. that? <laughs> if you guys are interested in learning more about this type of thing, um, there's a podcast called Ologies. Uh, in which the hostess um, interviews ologists, if that makes sense. And so there's an episode where she has a zymologist named Quentin Sturgeon, who is the brewmaster at Rogue Brewery uh, here in Oregon. And they talk a lot about yeast. Why, why did we talk about yeast on a show? It was riveting. It was riveting. Guys, behave yourself in chat. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. Oh, no. Behave yourself. <laughs> this is the worst. Uh, We're talking about beer here, you dorks. Uh, you guys are the worst. Moving on. <laughs> uh, but no, anyway, you were saying about rare yeast strains. Where can I learn more, Rhett? <laughs> uh, the Ologies podcast the Ologies uh, with podcast. guest Quentin Sturgeon. Um, he's the brewmaster of Rogue Brewery. 
great episode. They talk a lot about yeast, so check it out. Awesome. Uh, you guys are horrible. <laughs> YouTube chat is always the worst, and you all are proof. No, okay. <laughs> Reverend Shakes Hammer. <laughs> um, I don't know how to feel about this story. Uh, Delta Airlines. Yeah. Um, because let's just say this: Dr. Fauci came out. Uh, yesterday, I believe it was, and said, with everything opening right now, the worst thing you could possibly do is go to a bar for a long time and drink. It's the worst thing you can do for your health right now. I will one-up him. I think the only thing you can do for your health right now that is worse than that is getting on a plane and also drinking. <laughs> Delta Airlines reintroducing yes. beer and wine on their flights. It's not a surprise considering that I could be wrong, probably slandering Delta here. So somebody feel free to fact check me, but isn't Delta among the airlines that are just done booking half empty Del flights? Delta and American yeah. both announced that we're not doing the whole social distance thing anymore. So there is a lot of like treacherous territory in this conversation, but yeah, uh, but how much did the airlines bully the American government with the, the stimulus bailouts and things like that and these sort of like all the COVID relief money? Probably shouldn't have mm -hmm. said that, sorry. Um, <laughs> now you've done it. Uh, my bad. I was really trying to avoid using the word, but anyway, uh, but the uh, relief money and stuff that went into this sort of thing uh, um, and basically saying, you know, that if they didn't get this amount of money, that all these layoffs were going to happen. Well, then all these layoffs happened anyway. Mm -hmm. And then they're selling flights with like every other seat empty, but then they're just done with it. I mean, well, for a while, matter, we're flying empty planes because, you know, it costs so much to keep your reservation spot at the next airport. And it's like, yeah, but if you all agree to stop, you can all keep your spots, right? Right. Like, you don't have to be dicks about it. <laughs> Right. Because you're and, all and in the what, same boat or plane, as it were. And that's what's so troublesome to me is that, like, we've just routinely seen that these companies are, like, incapable of managing themselves for any sort of, like, disaster scenario. Mm -hmm. You know, like, how many times have the airline companies been freaking, you know, uh, bailed out and all this sort of stuff, like, in the last, you know, <laughs> the last 10 years? At this point, it's, like, literally twice, uh, at least twice. Um, and it just goes to show like the, they keep saying like, well, this is what we need to survive. This is what we need to survive. Otherwise think about what it's going to do to the economy. Like they're literally just holding like, you know, right. A sort of, if no one, the flies, economy, right. Who will buy things. Right. And not only that, but like, think about what it does to like the sort of like business class economy type thing. Right. And uh, the truth of the matter is if they were just willing to take a hit or run their company under a different model, it would be fine. But they're all about growth, just like every other big industry in the United States. And so they don't have rainy day money. Right. You know, the, the reason and they don't have the rainy day money is the last time they got bailed out, they used all that money on buyouts for their corporate stock. Right, exactly. And this is what they always do. They they buy and back. And suddenly they're out of money. If if your company is on the edge of bankruptcy 
after one month of lost revenue, you're a poorly run business or a business that has made, you know, your stockholders probably very happy. Right. But. Well, that's the problem is that the business model is one sided. Yeah. Like they are not running to provide an essential service to the general public. They are operating to provide the biggest amount of profits to a room full of people. You only need to fly Spirit once to figure that one out. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, any of these economy brand airlines are just, it's just crazy the lengths that they're willing to go to cut costs and expand profits. Uh, Steve and I had to fly Spirit back from Vegas this year, and that was awful. Yeah, well, I think you and I flew it both ways when we went. Right? Uh, no, we, we went Alaskan both ways. No. We were Alaskan. Yeah, we were Alaskan. I'll look up the tickets because I bought I them. I challenge you to. We were Alaskan. God, maybe we were, but I just remember. But nobody was on our flight there. It was empty, right. basically. Right. But, yeah, it's, I had it's just. three straight flights uh, to Vegas, from Vegas, and then back to Vegas where I had an empty row to myself. <laughs> that was amazing. <laughs> oh, I bet. That As a six awesome. foot five person who is always cramped on planes and is never, ever comfortable, having just a smidge of leg room, oh my God, I was in heaven. Yeah. And, uh, then, uh, and then we flew back Alaskan and Ala I, I fly Alaskan whenever possible because at least I have an inch in front of my knees. And as a tall person, I never get that on planes. I can't yeah. fit in an American flight or a Delta flight. Um, no matter how hard I try, I don't physically fit. It, it's square hole round peg or vice versa, whatever the analogy is. Yeah. Um, but uh, I don't physically fit. My legs do not bend at that angle. Um, and flying Amer flying Alaskan, I get a little bit of yeah, room. Yeah, it matters. Flying the inches spirit, matter. Flying Spirit coming back um, was the second worst flight I've ever had. The worst flight was American from Dallas to Portland. That was awful. The worst, the worst flight I've ever had was on Valeris Airlines, and I'm pretty sure they're either a Mexican airline or an El Salvadoran airline. Uh -huh. And um, I was the tallest person on the plane, and I could not. I had no room. Literally, you got a little like, taste of what my life is like, huh? Yeah, it must have been exactly like that. Like I, I had to literally like bring my legs up. Yeah. towards me and then my feet wouldn't touch the ground that was the only way i had room yeah it was so bad and then this yeah. little dude next to me he gets on no carry-on no checked bags and he got he has like a fanny pack and a cowboy hat and he gets on and he sits down pulls a cowboy hat over his head and he sleeps for five hours i'm like oh you jerk <laughs> jerk <laughs> <laughs> yeah um yeah, the, the worst flight I've ever had was was Dallas to PDX uh, on American Airlines. And uh, I was a window seat as the tall guy. And I actually asked the two people next to me, can I please swap with you? Because as soon as I sat down in the seat, um, already like the, the chair hit me just below my kneecap. So it's hitting me like upper shin. And, <laughs> and so it doesn't bend at that point. I don't know if you knew that, but that's like a bone right there. Yeah, yeah. And... Uh, and so I can't put my feet forward. I can't bend them back under the seat because there's not enough room to get my legs into that space anyway. And so unless I'm literally like bear hugging my knees in the chair, I didn't fit. Oh, and since it was a window seat on an American flight, the bulkhead came right yeah. about here. And so I'm literally like this and like this the entire flight. Oh, that sucks. Four and a half hours. Four Best. and a half hours. 
best flight I was ever on and was Air Japan. And the flight was three hours late. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, best flight I was ever on Air Japan. Mo- so much room, so comfortable, um, really courteous staff, probably because I'm white, I guess. I, I, I heard that they really try hard to like impress the Americans on board their flights, which could be true. Um, uh, someone confirmed Valeris is, Mexi- is uh, oh, Mexico. Yeah. It's the worst airline here in Mexico. Oh, so they're the Air Canada of Mexico. <laughs> awesome. And then Coalition Gaming above says, oh, Valeris is getting mentioned because apparently he was talking about it up above. Um, <laughs> yeah, I flew I flew Valeris to go to Guatemala. And uh, we took him because like we always kind of pick our flights like based on cost. Yeah. And they were just like so, so cheap, you know, and uh-huh. It was like, oh, really cheap flight to this cool destination. And it ended up just like being the cheapest flight available to anywhere at that time. It was like international. So that's like why we went there. Yeah. And um, yeah, it was it was really rough for me, probably. I mean, it was a five-hour flight. It was like the worst flight I've ever been on. Yeah. I mean, people were friendly and courteous. And all the passengers were like really friendly and courteous. There was no problem there. It was just horrible for a tall person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But no, I asked the two people next to me to switch seats, and one of them was like a five foot three, like scrawny yeah. little girl, and it's like we are two f- different species at this point. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. By the way, I missed a super chat a little while ago. Uh, Clockwork, mm. I do see you. I did see you. Uh, Twenty euro donation. Best wishes from Germany for you going to be a full time YouTuber. Thank you. Ooh, clockwork. Yeah. Sorry we kind of neglected you there, buddy. Yeah. I, th- I think you donated like right after a transition and then we kind of got talking. So, yeah. No, thank you. I-, I did see you and I do appreciate. Thank you. Yeah. But regardless, all of this to say, like, the airlines are just not running themselves responsibly and they're making us pay for it. And yeah. um, I think just the fact that they're willing to like put people onto these packed flights like you know look the 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 argument is that people are allowed to like weigh the risk for themselves um i kind of think that that's a really bad excuse in did, terms did, of do you like, know why they're serving beer and wine on delta flights again it's not for the customer service aspect of it it's so they can sell beer and wine for eight dollars a glass again right it's all about profits yeah, yeah it's not about like ooh, come have a drink and relax no it's another they're this isn't maxing 19... out their flights yeah. and they're selling booze. This isn't, you know, 1960s Pan America. This is no. your Delta. Yeah. I know what you are. Right. I don't know. It, it, it's just hard for me when, uh, you know, Refill. when getting on a flight like that can have such far reaching uh, repercussions for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I'd encourage you all, if you got to fly, you know, fly, do your best to do it safely. Um, you know, but if you can avoid it, avoid it. I mean, it's just the way it is right now. American Cosworth. Uh, worst flight for me was a C-130 vertical spiral descent into Afghanistan. But that's cheating. <laughs> yeah. I'm talking commercial flight. Come on I've now. Se- I've seen you in your gear. When would I ever be in Afghanistan on a C-130? Right. right. You know, if I did, I bet I could have a worse flight than that, maybe. No, but kidding. by the way, thank you for being there. Absolutely. You're awesome. Thank you so much. But uh, but that's cheating. <laughs> Holding that card in your back pocket. Come on. <laughs> uh, oh, by the way, American Cosworth, thank you for reminding me. I have a package to open from you. Um, and you oh. told me what it is. And then I went, oh, yeah, that's what it is. And then I've completely forgotten again. So I'm going to go grab that and open it. So I guess we'll talk about stuff. 
Afghanistan's a neat country. Read this history book. Y'all are interested in learning more. It's called Games Without Rules. Check it out. I, I, I hear that it's kind of controversial among some historians for being a little bit self-serving, but a fascinating and personal look at the history of Afghanistan. Uh, he's actually from, uh, I'm not going to say where he's from. But. Well, you don't have to say where he's from. I'm sure he was just serving abroad. He was just there. Uh, right. I mean, I imagine, I can imagine what you're doing on a C-130. Yes. Uh, yeah. No, I was just, I was holding this down without you, Jeff. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> I remember now. Oh, who? <laughs> Not going to say it, but thank you. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead and uh, pop one of those over here. Right, right. You just, just wing it to you. Wouldn't that be cool, though, like if we lived in a world where we all had, uh, you know, what are those vacuum tubes called? Oh, yeah. You know, I think like they're called Futurama. vacuum tubes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, just dunk one to me. That'd be dope. Yeah. Uh,. Or you can go Hank Williams Jr. Fax me a beer. Yeah, dude. There you go. Right? Civil says, hey, Rhett. Hey. Hello. <laughs> I'm sure you had something else to say, but... Time for a Rhett rant. Didn't go there. Anyway. Mm-hmm. I'm not getting much more with this beer. It's not quite as hollow, but the same flavors are just there. Kind of just percolating around. Just kind of there. And in fact, I've lost some of the whiskey. <laughs> so, kind of a bummer. I'm sorry yeah. you saved that. Maybe you I'm, saved it too long. It's a 2019. It's a 2019 that's a dark beer that's been in my fridge. Like 2019 was like five or six years ago, dude. It feels like it. <laughs> Good God, it doesn't feel like it's been, <laughs> it's been 84 years. <laughs> Please. 84 years ago, the Titanic went down and I lost my man, Jack. Pretty sure it was 84 years in the movie. Ma'am, we wrong. have no record of a Jack ever being on board. No, I swear he was there. He made me lay naked on a couch, drew me with a pencil. Ugh. Feel like Rhett's setup needs a new twenty-four terabyte workstation, maybe a webcam and a mic and a microphone. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's funny. Awesome. Uh, I gave him the webcam today, <laughs> and it looks great. It does. It's fantastic. It's a big step up over my phone. Not ashamed to admit. Mm-hmm. That's why I decided to go with a little bit different of a of a audio setup too. So uh, some people were giving me grief about wearing the the headset. Yeah. So I decided to just go look a little bit more. Yeah, Steve wears the headset. Works for him. Well, does Steve get sh crap about it? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I I don't pay attention to Steve. <laughs> <laughs> uh, any cool upcoming projects? Of course there are cool upcoming projects. Why do you think I quit? <laughs> They will be forever. That's right. Uh, so today I broke back out uh, the old Epic workstation over here. 
uh, my 32 core Epic. Um, I had six VMs running in it, all with uh, GTX 690s today, but unfortunately three out of the six decided they didn't want to play ball and code 43'd on me. Um, so I was trying one hypervisor. I think I'm going to switch to another tomorrow, see if I can fix it and hopefully get a video out by Friday. Um, cause I'd like to enjoy my 4th of July weekend, which will be like a full weekend off. I don't even know what that is anymore. <laughs> it's been 84 years. <laughs> Digging the game show host, Mike. <laughs> what can I say, baby? Just representing. You, you got it going on there, man. With the terrified... 24 terabyte workstation be high a higher level than hops and brews setup um yes because i actually built hops and brews too that was supposed to be a whole nother video and we filmed it right when i was getting the offer in and and starting to build on this house and so we did like the assembly video where we kind of like got together in the same office and put everything together and uh and built it but then i was moving and and building this whole thing and then I went to CES and then we got back and then I've got a month afterwards to kind of catch up on content. And then by March, COVID hit. And so it's just like, we've never had the opportunity to circle back on it. Um, but no, I built John a uh, uh, very similar to the system that I just built my very last video, the X99. Um, I built him a, uh, with, I think that same board, uh, a Chinese X99 uh, workstation with a uh, E5 2678v3. This was a uh, 2680 V3, so pretty much identical processors, just 100 megahertz off. Um, but uh, he provided the RAM, and he provided uh, what I guess you could call a power supply. <laughs> it's just two rats running on a treadmill. Uh, Home Dad says, uh, left my job of 24 years in 2012 to start my own company. Should have done it 20 years before that. Best thing I ever did was become free. Um, I've had less than 24 hours of it, and I have to say it's amazing so far. Um, I didn't know how much IT work was kind of leaning on me, how much that, that job was putting pressure on me. And you just kind of live with it. You you understand the responsibilities and the time commitment and everything else that go alongside it. And you're doing your best to do your best job. And all of a sudden it's like, even beyond like taking a, a one or two week vacation, which I took a two week vacation in December uh, to move into my new house. And I told them, don't email me because I won't answer. I'm not answering my phone. I'm not answering my email. You need to figure it out. And and it was nice. It was nice. I, I got things done around here. I, you know, had plenty of free time. I could run around, do whatever I needed to do. It was great. Yeah. You know, the only thing I think that working for somebody has on being self-employed is like the ability to like just collect a paycheck if you wanted that. Um, but even that's like a double-edged sword. It's like, how many of all how, how many of us all have just gone to that you know that job that we don't care about collected a paycheck and just felt like shit about ourselves i yeah. mean you know there's something about putting in the extra effort like working a little bit harder mm -hmm. um you know it, it just feels different i mean again i'm and i just small sort of 
bonus in working for someone's corner, collecting a paycheck. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, yeah, I, I don't. I think like once you really iron out the, the wrinkles, it's like it's a no brainer. It's like I tell everybody, it's like if you can work for yourself, you should do it. Yeah, no, I I fully agree with that. Um, it's getting to the point where you can work for yourself. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, and that's what I've been working on the last three years. Um, and really in earnest, the last two and a half. I mean, yeah. basically since I hit 1,000 subscribers, this has kind of been the end goal. And so uh, right around January 2018, I decided, you know what, let's let's figure out what my niche is in this market and uh, and start going after it. And I went after the server stuff a little bit harder and started showing a little bit of my professional chops on here and, and uh, started understanding um, probably later in the game than I probably should have, but uh, uh, what I do well and what I don't do well and what people want to watch me for and what they don't want to watch me for. Um, and there are, there are things that I do well, but other outlets do better. And so maybe not focus on those and try to compete at the same time because it's not really a competition. Um, but there, there is, um, promotion on YouTube that you will get lost in the mix of if you're trying to be in that same marketplace at the same time. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's the kind of thing where if I put out a video uh, and, and this has happened to me a couple of times where I will have a video in planning stages or even have shot a video and Jay's Two Cents publishes a video on almost the exact same concept. I can now not publish that video because all that will happen is my subscribers, my, my core audience. And, and, and by that, I mean like the, the top five or 7% of my, my subscriber count will go, that was a great video. Everyone else who watches it will go, you either copy Jay's Two Cents or Jay's Two Cents did it better, or why didn't you do it the way Jay's Two Cents did? Yeah, you just bring undue sort of like... um, Undue criticism and comparison and whatnot, and and you almost build animosity by being in the same, you know, this is our street kind of thing. And it's not between the YouTubers. The YouTubers are great. I've worked with a number of them. I've talked to a number of them. I've gotten advice from from some. I've given advice to others. You know, the the community itself is great. We're all we're all of the understanding. It's not a competition. We're all in the same, you know, market, but it's not like I'm fighting for views over here. Um, you know, what's good for you is good for me and and vice versa. We all get that. Um, or I think all of us get that. Uh, but, uh, there's a couple times where I've posted a video and LTT has posted a similar video two weeks later and I get called a copycat (laughs) and that's just maddening. Uh, it's like, no, I put the work in on that video and you know, I did. Yeah. All they got to do is look at the dates. Right. Yeah, my but, Alibaba water cooling came out like five days before Linus's water cooling video did. And yeah. I got called a copycat in that case. It's like, do you know how long it takes to get crap from Alibaba? Yeah, I, that's the court of public opinion right there. I mean. Mm-hmm. But uh, there's other things that I've learned. Um, I don't do release day video card reviews um, because I'm not the source to go see that. I'm not the source for that content. Um, I'm, I'm decent at it. I, I do very good benchmarking 
runs. I my numbers are always accurate, um, but Gamers Nexus Hardware Unboxed, Jay Two Cents, uh, Paul Kyle, a couple others. I mean, that's the benchmark crew. That is when there's new hardware out, they get to cover it. And my review, even if it's the same day, even if I beat them to it, my viewership will not go up because of it, uh, because they're the ones getting the clicks. Um, and I understand that. And so I need to do either something different with the card or wait a couple of weeks and use it in a different way or whatever else. And that's totally fine. That's not competing. That's knowing what your market is and, uh, you know, figuring that out. Uh, it's only after you uh, become self-employed you realize how much taxes you pay. No, I know. <laughs> Trust me, I know. The beauty, the beauty of self-employment in that regard, though, is the tax write-offs. Yes, I mean that's probably like why. I'll Do you realize the expenses of running a tech channel? Right. Yeah. Exactly. Um. So duh. hardware in box. Don't you mean hammer on box? Don't you mean anchor in docks? Uh, <laughs> um. Yeah. Uh, no, I understand the taxes. My wife was self-employed for six years. I, I fully understand the, the, the taxes that you have to pay on a self-employed business. Um, but do you realize how expensive it is to, to run a tech channel? Um, so I'll, I'll just throw this number out there. Um, the last two years, I've had almost $40,000 in revenue. I've made $835 in profit because I've spent the rest of it putting back into the channel. And that was intentional to grow the business, to to get the equipment that I need to run the business and to continue delivering content until I got big enough where the content could deliver itself. And what I mean by that is either getting in touch with hardware vendors who want to work with me, either getting advertising deals that that can translate into, you know, money that can just be spent on, on content or whatever else. Um, but uh, everyone... There's a lot of people ask me, well, how do you make money on YouTube? I say, I don't know, because I haven't done it yet. Um, but uh, yeah, my books say I've made $40,000 at this point. I've spent it all back in the business. Now, obviously, I'm changing my business model moving forward. But um, I had to do that to get started to get to the point where I am. So. Yeah, well, that's the thing, man. When you look at the the the, the two types of business owners, you got the savers and you got the investors. Mm -hmm. And the ones that do the best are the investors. Yep. The ones that aren't afraid to spend some money in order to see sort of the future money you have, man. Like, yeah, it, it's a small thing. So, yep. Uh, everyone notice craft computing using JCon Bluetooth earphone. No. Do you, do you not see the wire? <laughs> These are Plantronics in-ear microphones. I believe mm. they're IN40s or IE40s. Plantronics is the way to go, baby. They're great. I love these things. I forgot I had these things back when um, I played bass on stage. <laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah. It's I've like, never why used it. Why am monitors. I using these Monoprice earbuds? Like the Monoprice ones are great for $7. They're great for like $40. They're not these. Yeah. 
Rhett needs a better ISP. Haha, <laughs> someone blaming you for my problems. <laughs> we got the same ISP, baby. Yep. <laughs> He's probably on the same leg that I am. We live we live close enough. Yeah, probably. So um I used Rhett to flip uh, Circle Tech. I used to flip PC parts as a job. It's like paying that self employment tax that sucks in the US. Um Right. And if you're self-employed, you have to pay your social security. You have to pay all the other things that normally your employer pays off the top. Um, a lot of people don't realize this, but to hire an employee costs about 30% more than what their actual wage is. Uh, to hire a full-time employee with benefits costs about 75% more than their actual wages, between 60 and 70%, depending on what, what their benefits package is. Uh, and sometimes even more if it's, you know, a larger benefits package or a retirement or 401k. Um so if you're taking home $60,000, uh, but they're contributing to your 401k and you get full ride benefits and, and your family's insured and everything, that's a $120,000 gig um, after taxes and everything else. Like it's it's not a small chunk of change. So I fully understand the tax structures. I, I fully get all that. I also have a tax person who fully understands it for me. <laughs> Uh, wait, I play bass. Got to do a, a craft computing and Davey 504 collab. Ooh, that would be fun. Get Davey over here. Yes. Heck yes. That would be a good time. Uh... <laughs> Timmy Joe Tech, is that you? <laughs> No, but I love Timmy Joe. He's great. Uh, Scott, $20 donation. Uh, if you look for some Michigan beers, check out Dark Horse Brewing. I've had a couple of theirs, actually. Um, uh, the Scotty Karate Scotty Karate Scotch Ale, Double Crooked Tree IPA, and Plead the Fifth Sat are all excellent choices if you can find them. I think I'm going to look for those. So, thank you, Scott. I appreciate it. Oh, man, it'd be great if this became the norm. Just like super chats every five minutes. Just, yeah. Come on, guys, keep it coming. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, that, that begs the uh, bringing up Nub up there was saying that, uh, you know, he wishes he could uh, sub on Patreon, but he just doesn't make enough. And to those of you that are in the same boat, you know, don't worry. The Patreons are for when you got a little extra money that you want to support yes. artists and content creators that you enjoy. I try to view Patreon subs the same way as like a newspaper subscription, mm -hmm. uh, you know, because who subscribes to newspapers anymore? I mean, I do, but, uh, but you know, the amount of money you yeah, save you were on... born in the forties. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Get your newspaper over here. We got fresh print. We got the news. Um, but, uh, Oh, guys, those lights are starting to fade. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> We're moving into craft after midnight. <laughs> but uh, but anyway, yeah, with the amount of money that you save, like cutting the cord on cable and things like that, you know, I took some of that money and I got a local newspaper subscription. And now I subscribe to content creators and stuff that I really enjoy. And if I can only afford a dollar, I just give them a dollar. It's like I have a set Patreon budget, you know. And I kind of shift that around. Some people have gotten it for a lot longer than others. 
some people might get a bigger amount for a shorter time. It just kind of depends on what I'm in the mood for. But uh, like the whole point of a Patreon is not to like bleed yourself dry to like support people. So, you know, don't do that. But if you have $1 a month, then you get to come in and join the Discord, baby. That's right. And uh, for those who don't know, we've been uh, doing an after party on Discord every Wednesday night after the show for between one and however many hours i don't want to say how many because i used to have to work on thursdays uh and in fact i still have to work on thursdays but uh yeah, it's a little different now and my boss sucks <laughs> real hard like, ass like my makes you one. carry he, all the heavy stuff everywhere he's a hard ass he makes me carry everything from the garage down down to the the basement here but he does all the driving which is pretty nice he so. does he does pays pays for all the lunches which are great yeah buys yeah. me beer <laughs> hey uh nub says a buck a month isn't much but how does one support you without spending money just viewing viewing uh sharing uh yeah, sharing is huge liking interacting anything you do on youtube within the page that you're on counts as support for the creator so if you click on a video and you don't skip the ad. Watch the 30 seconds. You'll get it back, I promise. Watch the 30 second ad at the beginning. Um, watch their entire video. Don't don't bomb out a third of the way through unless you don't like the content. But if you enjoy what they're what they're doing, or if you enjoy the person, even if this video is not like doing it for you, just watch it through to the end because those metrics are very, very high. Watch time is probably the number one metric on YouTube right now. How long do I keep eyeballs on my screen um, is what gets me recommended right now. <coughs> um, like the video, like the video, leave a comment down below. Tell me what you liked. Um, tell me what you didn't like. Argue with me, yell at me, call me an idiot. Uh, tell me I'm great. If you're leaving a comment, you are engaging with me, which means my video is doing better. <laughs> um, so any comment whatsoever, like, share, subscribe. Uh, Novella Hub put it perfectly. There's a reason every YouTuber on the face of the planet at the end of every video or sometimes at the beginning of every video, which drives me nuts because I haven't seen the video yet. How do I know if I like it? Um, but at the end of every video, like the video, subscribe if you like it, leave a comment down below call to action on the on the part of the user now that my video is done but that does wonders if everyone starts doing it um so yeah if you like the content watch the content enjoy the content interact with the content and donate if you can click the amazon links uh any link down below that anyone provides is likely an affiliated link just assume it is do business there. Dashboard with a super chat over here. $3. Three Says, bucks. Kids that have access to computers change the world. And yes, sir, you are right. I had a computer in my room at age six. I built my first one at 11. I got my first IT job at 17. I landed my professional career a number of years later. And I worked there for 13 years. And now here I am. I mean, when you listen to the old interviews with Elon Musk, he attributes his entire success to having a computer in his house, um, you know. Mm-hmm. So there you go. 
me, me and my wife were, were talking recently because my, my oldest daughter, Miss, who's helped me, or I, uh, she built a computer on the show and then she's also built the arcade machine with me on the show. Um, she wanted a computer in her room. Right now we have a computer in our office upstairs, um, you know, so she can go in and play Minecraft and get on the internet and do, do those things, but supervised. And she wanted a computer in her room. And my wife was completely against it. And I said, I'm not completely against it, just flat out. I'm against like unfettered access because that's not good for a seven-year-old. But the reason I do what I do is because I had a computer in my room at age six and I got interested in it and I learned about it. And, and I took that passion and turned it into a career. And, and that passion can start now. There, there's no reason it can't. Um, so, you know, we, we talked a while and we're probably going to end up putting a Raspberry Pi with, with some, some very software in her room so she can tinker on the Pi, you know, get her, get her a, a copy of Scratch on there, get her some program learning games. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and see what she does with it. Because when I was, when I was, uh, when I was six, I had a Macintosh LC2 in my room. Um, and I had a printer <laughs> and I had a uh, 12 inch color screen and, uh, playing, uh, the, the learn to use your mouse scuba diving game and yeah. math blaster and yeah. Warcraft. And, um, I couldn't even play Wolfenstein 3d because an LC two isn't fast enough to play it any more than a screen. That's about this big. So literally I had my 12 inch screen and I shrunk it down to about a three inch screen. So the render window was about that big. And I played Wolfenstein on a keyboard <laughs> leaning into that monitor. And that was my first first person shooter. <laughs> um, but that's, that's what lit a fire for, for tech in me was, was having that computer in my room and being able to tinker with it. And uh, who am I to deny that? What exactly is my education background? Um, high school, some college, and a lot of tech certs. Didn't graduate college, but uh, I am, I'm certified to deploy Windows Vista. How's that? <laughs> Basically any server technology from Microsoft 2008, I'm your guy. <laughs> I'm really enjoying the chat today. I don't normally yeah. pay this much attention to it, but yeah, I've been reading a lot more than I've been talking. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Like... I keep doing the same thing. Yeah, I had a Style Writer one in my room. I had a Macintosh black and white Style Writer, an Apple Style Writer. Chex Quest. Chex Quest was long after. Chex Quest came out in like ninety seven, ninety eight. I'm talking like. 90 early 90s not gonna quite give it away but early 90s macintosh lc2 sin city there you go uh started with linux os when it first came out back in 1990 and i still use it every day um i didn't start dabbling in linux until the late 90s early 2000s um i remember what was I on back then? 
I can't remember what distro of Linux I, I dabbled with back then, but yeah, like 2000, 2001, I remember I had a distro of Linux running on a desktop um, at my house. Um, I remember 2003, maybe four, um, I had a very early version of Ubuntu uh, installed on, I think a PowerPC G3, uh, Macintosh G3 tower. Um, and, uh, that was a lot of fun. Gave a little new life to, uh, to a Mac that was a couple years old. We had an Apple II Plus. Uh, I have an Apple II GS in my garage that works right now. You know, uh, craft computing started with my brother's 386 used to mess with it, uh, used to mess it up and reformat, uh, and install DOS and win three, three, one, one before he came home from school, wondering where all his files went. Good memories. <laughs> <laughs> here's a, um, here's a question I should put to the audience while we have one. Yeah. So you ever, you know, have a memory of something as a child, uh, you know, for me, for example, I'll give you an example. I, I used to have this memory of this movie that I had watched at this daycare that I was at at like four years old, maybe, mm -hmm. yeah, about four years old or so. And it was on all the time. And I could never remember that movie as an adult, but I thought about it all the time. And, and like one day I just started doing a lot of research, doing a lot of digging, and I discovered the movie was the princess and the goblin which is available on youtube yeah. but the way i was able to find it was by these like really like thin details that i kind of remember about like the princess like having this like string of light that she sort of like follows through the castle and does all this sort of stuff very like typical 80s uh sort of like fantasy animated movie well my wife and i have been struggling to remember uh a game that she played as a child and she's not a gamer. So her descriptions could be off, but maybe you guys can think about this. There's one level of this game in particular, if it, if it even had levels and the way she describes it sounds exactly like the game pitfall. She describes this character and you use the arrow keys mm -hmm. and you would jump and like grab these ropes and like swing over these holes. Okay. Yeah. But in her mind's eye, the holes didn't look like the holes on pitfall they looked more like the holes that you fall into say on like mario brothers where they now, just go straight down off the screen now here's the question yeah um what type of graphics because are we talking so, straight up like 2d pixels like atari 2600 because that was pitfall if you're right talking so she more of a if you're talking more of a pc game then there was pitfall the mayan adventure so which I don't was think it more was... of a photo-ish yeah so she describes it. I showed her pictures of Pitfall, and she said that was too advanced, which is, like, mind-blowing to me. Um, <laughs> and she said also what Even was in your mind's eye, because I have memories of the Oregon Trail looking a lot better than the Oregon Trail looks. Right. And and that's what I keep, like, I don't know. It's hard for me to, to pinpoint exactly. And one, one other detail, she said she thought the main character might have been a depiction of a girl wearing a pink what she thought was a dress because it kind of had like a triangle, like the dress had more of like a triangle sort of. Jill of the jungle. It. Jill of the jungle, you think? Jill of the jungle. Should I Google this? Google it. I came up with one that I 
it's a it brunette close, heroine wearing kind of like a like a Tarzan style outfit, but you can swing ropes, you can jump over holes. It's a platform style game. I might have to show her this later. Yeah. Try yeah, I didn't find this. And it's got the black background like she was talking about. Mm-hmm. The one that I kind of came up with was a Konami game. And it was called Castlevania. Uh, no, Castlevania, get out of here. Was, um, I still remember that intro. I found it by Googling pitfall knockoffs. Castlevania. Oh, sorry. <laughs> get out of here with your Castlevania. <laughs> um, the one that I found. It's that a I pitfall knockoff. Close, you understand that. It was a Konami game for the MSX called Athletic Land. But I have no idea how she would have played that. She said that it was on a, f- a floppy disk. So I don't know. If you Google Athletic Land, some of the images kind of match, but not quite the way the holes are. Um, yeah, see, Jap Willem says, Jill, the jungle's too new. Where's green? But otherwise, it kind of matches the description. Uh, yeah. Just, yeah. It's that been was driving the closest thing me I could crazy. think up to what he was describing that was before Mayan Adventure, but after Pitfall. Yeah. And it's kind of the right era, you know? I mean, this right. is the thing. Like, she's playing this, like, mid-90s. Like 89 to 94 kind of thing. Yeah. Right. And, you know, I, I, I successfully found one of the games she was talking about. She was describing this one game where she's like, I think you could, like, do this hacky sack, and sometimes a bird would fly over. It's like, oh, California games. California games. Yeah. And uh, so we nailed <laughs> right. that one. But this other one that we couldn't remember exactly so we've been uh we've been going through it but nub says a vague memory of a game that's like adventure but it was in a pyramid i believe it was on a trs-80 i never had a trs-80 it's one of the few computers from that era that i didn't really mess with yeah there's i mean the problem is is like you go back to a certain era and there's just so many games and so many like knockoffs yeah. of games yeah like back then game clones sometime are known better than the original games yeah exactly and so it's really hard to like really kind of pinpoint um what uh what this game could be but anyway i thought i'd put it out in the ether so if anybody in chat had an mm-hmm. idea uh or if anybody watching in the future has an idea or listening in the podcast format yeah, Jill of the Jungle is the closest thing that I can think of that kind I mean, of matches that description. I'm pretty impressed with your poll on that because, like, looking at it, like, some of the images, like, are pretty spot on. Yeah. The only thing that isn't right is the clothes. Yeah. And, like, perhaps maybe even the idea of the graphics being worse than Pitfall. But, in, mm-hmm. like, I don't know. I, I'm willing to look at anything. I'll show her pictures of this when we're done. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious to find out. But, uh, uh, and, and, here we got sucked back into retro computing. Did you see how that happened? Yeah, absolutely. I, I know I should have brought this up it. while I should have brought you it up it. while we were talking about it. Yeah. Um, I forgot about it. Uh, so do you ever play a game called jet fighter? I don't think I have. There was a simulation. There was a simulation craze in, in the late eighties, early nineties. And there was a series of game called, called jet fighter. And I specifically remember playing jet fighter two which was uh, Jet Fighter 2 Tactical something or whatever. But it was a DOS-based game. You could play it in DOS 5 or DOS 622. Um, 
had PC speaker sound, and that was it. Um, I think it might have had Sound Blaster sound later on, but I've actually never heard it with Sound Blaster sound. Um, but it was a first person, you're in a F-16 or F-A-18 or, you know, a couple of different planes. Um, I think they had five planes to choose from, and you could have up to two enemies that you would dogfight. And it was over California. And so you had, you could take off from San Francisco International. You could take off from an aircraft carrier just off off the uh, the bay. Uh, you could take off from a couple different locations, but it was a fairly large map. Um, and uh, you would take off and fly this jet and you could fly it first person or third person. So you could fly behind right. and it was very, very early 3D graphics. Um, yeah. I spent hours playing that game. Hours upon hours upon hours playing that game um, because well, it's interesting to me how older games like that sometimes have like these immersive qualities and kind of expansive features. They mm-hmm. like games lost after yeah. that and then didn't gain back until recently, you know? Um, I mean, how well it did for how small of a game it is. I mean, the whole game fit on a floppy disk, one floppy disk and it was 3d graphics and it was the entire Bay area of California. I mean, obviously not perfectly rendered and there was very limited topology and, and everything, but there was an aircraft carrier. There were 12 different models of planes. You could gun down MiG twos and, and things like that. And, uh, you could dogfight in it and, uh, you had actual physics that were going on. You had flaps on your plane. You had pressures. You had, you would stall if you were doing too tight of a roll. I mean, it, it was a very good simulation game yeah and and a heck of a lot of fun um and and man that's the best thing we had in 1992 i mean it was yeah i spent so long playing that game yeah gaming's one of those interesting things I, 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 there was one game i recalled uh my older brother playing and it was um you know some sort of space travel game but like planets had gravity and rotation and revolutions and like movement and all of these different sorts of things. And we're taught like, this was a game I'm a hundred percent positive. was like from the eighties. Yeah. And you play it and it has all of these features that like we've come to think of as like revolutionary when games like no man's sky or something comes out and we're like, what planets moving? What? Like all that, like, it's just crazy to me. Like what game programmers and developers were able and willing to do back in the day and then it's like graphics and stuff kind of like took over and right well gaming goes in swings it is look at how pretty it is look at how immersive it is look at how pretty it is look at how immersive it is right and uh and and so we've kind of gotten past the point i feel where we can say look how pretty a game is because we've reached this point where increasing resolution isn't going to do much. Increasing, you know, voxel count isn't right. going to do much to to round out features or to, you know, we've gotten to the point where we can, you know, render 1080p at 4K using DLS less with 1% performance hit. Yeah. And and what so resolution isn't the game anymore. And texture right. detail isn't the game anymore because those are all to the point where we're all very happy with the results. Um, well, and then you put out something that's, 
you know, a, a 1 million man hour project like Red Dead Redemption 2 and it looks right. impeccable. Yeah. And, you know, I, I can't even begin to think of the numbers. I, I picked the wrong two games in my mind, but I was like, but then you have something like Owlboy, which <laughs> is like reminiscent of like the SNES style and it's shipping tens of millions of copies just the same. Right. You know? Um, so it, it is kind of one of those things where, you know, people just enjoy games. So you, ne- you never know what what's going to hit and what's going to strike a fire. I mean, right. we've had, you know, half million, you know, or heck, even $10 million games before that have flopped. Yeah. You know, it's not unheard of oh. for, for a game. Look at No Man's Sky. Yeah. Look at No Man's Sky. The, the marketing that Sony put behind that. They, I believe they bought rights to that game for something like $50 million to be able to debut it on the, on Sony. Yeah. And, uh, and Sony pushed the development of it and that game was a flop. Now to their credit, to, to the developer's credit, I've never seen a game before turn around like that game has. Yeah. Well, and it's because I think the developers knew what the game was going to be. Mm-hmm. And I think. Thing. That is Personally, the longest the TH I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure it's Comcast or the FBI going after me. It's one of one or the other. But might be both. But Sony's uh publishing deal, I'm sure, is why they kind of push it out. And I think that maybe if if hello games had been a little bit more clear with the audience you know personally you've all heard me rant about it i think they were perfectly clear about mm-hmm. what the game was going to be uh and all that sort of stuff and if you got duped into it it's because you don't listen or you don't research i mean i bought the game launch and i was completely satisfied with what it is and then it kept getting better and i was like oh my god like for once in my life i bought a game and for no money I got a new game two years later that right. was better. Right. Like, um, I'll, I'll argue the counterpoint to that because I also bought it at launch. I, I bought it 15 hours before the download date for steam. And so I downloaded the game and played it right at release. And, and I had, I was excited on the level that I was excited for Spore. of here's a game that takes you from, you know, one planet to explore the galaxy and make your own path and, and interact with starships and, and meet alien cultures and decode languages <coughs> and all the grandiose things that they promised. And um, you get into the game and you're like, this is really cool. And, and you're playing it for like two hours and you're like, okay, I, I've got a spaceship now. I'm off planet. I can, there's a star base. I'm going to go to that. And you land in the starbase and you go, oh, there's an alien. Sweet. And you go talk to the alien and he's talking gibberish. And you, you know, you don't understand any of the words that he's saying, but, blah, 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 blah. and, but he seems to be wanting to sell you something. And so you buy a new part from him and, and then you go, oh, I'm going to go to like the next star system. And so you go to the next star system and you land on one of the planets and it's a different biome. And you're going, oh, this one's fire instead of ice, or this one's this instead of that. This one's a water planet instead of a jungle. And uh, and I played it through for 16 hours opening weekend. 
And at 16 hours, I finally had to say, is this it? Is this all I got? Because I kept waiting for it to get deeper. I kept waiting for a story to develop. I kept waiting for an animal to surprise me or hell for that matter, attack me. There was no survival. There was no construction. There was no anything else. There were 12 ships that you could buy and sell. There were a couple of different weapons that you could have. And all they did was apply different levels of damage and look the same or mine ore at a different rate. Um, there was never a sense of danger because I always had a hundred times the resources that I needed to survive. There wasn't anything I could do on the planet other than mine the resources and say, oh, this planet doesn't have diamonds or coal, so I'm going to go somewhere else. Every space station looked exactly the same. There were seven biomes on the planets, and so every planet ended up looking exactly the same. All the creatures had, there were only like 300 different combinations of parts. And so all the creatures ended up looking the same, just different sizes. And, but the game is big enough. It took me 16 hours to get to that point. Right. And for a game that was supposed to be a mile deep and 30 miles wide, was a mile wide and about three inches deep. And so I'll, I'll, I'll counter by, there was a lot to do only because there were a lot of planets. And yeah. it was not the game they promised. Well, Certainly not at launch. I think now they're getting to the game that they promised. They're very close. I, I don't even think they're there yet. I mean, but it's a I, good game now. There are no features in any of the newest additions other than multiplayer, I guess. And I would even argue against that that were promised from the get-go. Mm-hmm. There was no feature that's included in it. Like all of the features that are, that are now part of the game, uh, part of the base game, are, are 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 things that were never discussed or talked about early on. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, players wanted them, and so we got them. And so, like, kudos to you know people for making it known. But also, I kind of have a, a feeling that like Hello Games kind of knew what they wanted to do with it after launch. Again, yeah. I kind of think the publishing deal pushed them. I th- I think it was released a year and a half early. Yeah, and, and, and I, I would agree. And, I, and Sony pushed them to that. I, would I think if it was released a year and a half later and they had the development time that they put back into it, I think the reception would not have been cold. Yeah. Um, See, and I put 40 hours into it before I kind of stopped coming back to it a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now I play it a little bit more regularly just because I have friends that want to play <laughs> it and there's more to do. But at the same time, when I bought the game, I knew what I was getting was like a glorified tech demo in a way. Like... The whole concept of the game was based around... But I've seen tech demos deeper than that. Sure. But <laughs> again, every, every single thing that I watched is a developer saying like, this was my way of showing off that I had this algorithm that could produce, um, you know, what was it? Four quadrillion planets? Right. Or something like that? Here, here's Here's the disconnect between the marketing behind that game and what was actually delivered is the game itself was advertised as every atom procedural. That was the the marketing slogan. It was every planet, every being, every procedural. And the word procedural has always meant when I start a game, my game is generating that world. It has never been we procedurally generated a world and it's a pre-done set thing. Well, and even then, I would argue that the things were procedural, 
like just based on the way that you would develop. They were procedural, but never in the way that has players ever been want. advertised as procedural before. I, I, right. And I think that, again, that comes down to the marketing. Like, I think that there's a disconnect with like what developing like a procedural generation algorithm mm -hmm. looks like and like what players hear when they hear the word procedurally generated. I, and I'm not saying it's not impressive. I'm not saying that the fact that they were able to generate that universe is not impressive. The way it was marketed was that every single time you play through, it's a different game. It's it's a different right. universe. It's a different goal. It's a different yeah, mission. And it's not. It, they generated one universe and then sold everyone the same universe. And that's fine if you market it that way, but that's not how they marketed it. Well, the thing they, is, though, is it's the same universe. However, but there's four quadrillion planets. Strictly speaking, yeah, you're never going to ever go to the same planets twice. Right. I in, mean, in theory. Right. Um, but they also marketed it as a multiplayer game. And they said, you'll be able to interact with your friends or find them on other worlds. and or Right. Which, and to me, that is the only aspect of the game that was misrepresented at all in the initial sort of marketing blitz. Like, you know, you watch the original demo and you're seeing like these dinosaur-like creatures and things. And you're like, wow, these creatures look so cool. And then you get in and you see all the derpy creatures and <laughs> the, the jurassic park youtube video right yeah but even then like we've all watched e3 coverage before like i would hope that the people again uh, this is this is just my personal two cents and i and i don't disagree with anything that you're saying necessarily it's just that i i have a hard time sympathizing with people that didn't know what they were getting because that is video game marketing since I've been old enough to buy my own games, you know, like I keep coming back to this whenever we talk about No Man's Sky, but it's like the game Fable sold me an Xbox and so many people. Oh, like, you had to bring to that up, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. But here's the thing. I played that game probably like I probably put like 200 hours into that game and I still enjoy what I got out of it. It was worth the money to me. Um, was it what was promised? No. But from then on, I learned that what you get and what is promised like, are not necessarily ever going to be the same thing. This is partially why I don't buy games new. This is kind of why I wait to sort of see reviews and things like that, except for notable exceptions, No Man's Sky and Red Dead Redemption and Spider-Man. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which all were like you know, No Man's Sky is probably the weakest installment out of those, but uh, maybe not anymore. If it was released as as it is now, it probably. I think if up, No Man's but... Sky was released today in the form that it is, it'd be a great game. Um, yeah. Like I like I said, had it not been released the time that it was released in the shape that it was released in, it wouldn't have had that reception. The problem no, and, is, is it was right, and yeah, you're not wrong. So, but, and, and I'm not saying they didn't do an amazing 180. I'm saying they probably did a historically great redemption right. of that game. Yeah. I, I don't think there's anybody out there that could say that it's not a good game or that it isn't a night and day difference from what it used to be. Even I say right. that, right. you know, but here's what I propose to you. you. You spent 16 hours playing it and maybe that was 16 hours too long, you know, given that, uh, you know, you found yourself repeating yourself, but, mm -hmm. uh, but was that worth $50? Well, I spent about three dollars an hour playing that game. Just um, less than rent. I've certainly a had computer worse investments in gaming in my life. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
as, as far as game time. If I look at enjoyment of the game, which you have to quantify somehow. Um, yeah, sure. I mean, the, there, there's, there's qualitative values, there's quantitative values. You have to qualify, did I enjoy the game? I enjoyed the first couple hours of the game. I would say I thoroughly enjoyed the first two to three hours getting my spaceship off the ground, yeah, finding the resources, fine. figuring out how to survive, doing those kinds of things. You know, taking those Minecraft-inspired, you know, style gameplay, yeah. building a couple of things, solving a couple of puzzles and collecting enough resources and going, oh, now I have enough aluminum to create the reactor that I need to put in my ship to get off the ground. Once I got off the ground, the the next 12 to 14 hours were spent going, there's got to be something more than this. <laughs> what am I searching for? What am I going for? And and all it was was, oh, now you're off the ground. Now you're going to blow up asteroids and find this resource. And you're yeah. going to land on this planet, which is cold instead of hot. And yeah. that was it. And there, were, there was no redemption in the creatures. And, and, and you got used to the same look of everything. Where it was, yes, it was all procedural, but it was all procedural within the, the same 15% margin of error. Right. And Well, and that's kind of like the problem when you look at programming like, like mm -hmm. true random is that like if you just program true random it's actually like almost the least random thing possible right. <laughs> because it's so random that it's like predictable yeah um so whenever you're programming had they true included random, a, an like improbability drive like, i probably would have gotten yeah, more enjoyment out right, of that yeah. game <laughs> exactly so i always think that was like kind of the issue with like especially like the rubber duck car banana hey we're there yeah <laughs> It's interesting because our, our our first takes on it are different. But again, I kind of, you know, I keep coming back to it. It's like I, I was following every press release, every interview, every single thing. And I just wasn't surprised. Like, and people were like, well, he promised us multiplayer. I was like, I watched that same interview. And like, he said it was possible, but unlikely that you would ever run into other players. Um, and he did kind Here, of make it sound the thing. like. At release, it was not possible to run into other players. Right. Yeah. Yeah, Two exactly. players went to the same planet at the same time, at the same location, found the same monument, and there was no other player there. Like, they tracked each other down, and they tested it. Yeah. And it didn't exist. Yeah. And so that's a problem. Yeah, That's sure. a problem from a marketing yeah. standpoint. That's a problem from a delivery standpoint. Yeah. And and so that it, it's things like that that made people upset with the marketing. Because yeah. if, let's say... It's procedural, but not. We procedurally generated this thing, and then we shipped the same package. You can you can say yeah, but there's four trillion planets, you know, quadrillion planets, whatever. You you could go. It has you know layers of of customization for your starship, right? And there's seven different starships and twelve different parts for it. Okay, it's not what we expected, but I guess you delivered it. When you say there's multiplayer in a game, it's just unlikely you'll find someone else. And you're standing in the same spot and they're not there. Right. That's a problem. That's a straight up lie. <laughs> right. Eh, sure. And so yeah, that's yeah. why people were upset. And once you find a lie, you start looking at the other ones. And and so some of it started to unravel. And so I can't take away your quantitative experience, your qualitative experience to say that you enjoyed the game at release. Because there were times that I enjoyed the game at release. Right. But when I but when I look at it and and through those 16 hours. I was going, this is not the game that I was promised. Right. 
And that's that's where I wound up. And and enjoyable or not, this is as far as I'm going to go with it. Right. Um. Yeah. Well, to be fair, I didn't go past like 40 hours until they they updated it or anything. Right. Um. It just. Yeah. It is kind of interesting. It, it just and, took you 24 more hours. <laughs> right. And it's interesting, like hearing you describe the procedural generation. I wonder if there's some sort of disconnect on the way that it's handled as well, because the way you're describing it, maybe I just misunderstood you. But I'm fairly certain, like, so it's obviously a persistent universe where one player's sort of discoveries are then uploaded to the server. Right. But my understanding is that things were generated as you discovered it. So when you flew into a new star system, that star system was generated and the creatures were generated and they didn't exist before. I, I believe they said later on the star map was already generated. The planets mm. that exist are already planets within a map the when you discover a planet you discover what planet it is you discover what biomes are there and you and it generates the creatures there and then once those are generated those are uploaded and those are permanent is, is how i understood it but it was already generated in some fashion uh, and and again if that's your only marketing fallacy that like we generated the star map already. And then as you discover a planet, it's uploaded, but then your friends can come join you on planet. That's fine. People go, Oh, that's a smart way to do it. That's a smart way to not ship a, you know, 300 gigabyte game. Right. And, uh, and still, you know, let everyone be able to download it and play it. Right. But when all of a sudden your friends aren't on planet with you and yeah, and it was already pre-generated. Right. Well, I remember that was kind of like a big now thing. Now you start poking like, holes in everything. Right. And that so, was like a big thing that kind of like shocked a lot of people. I, I remember like the way that they tested to make sure like the, the procedural generation algorithm was functioning is that they would like basically send a bot through all of these, just to fly through all these star systems and create them and basically take pictures and upload them to their spreadsheet or whatever and mm -hmm. make sure things are looking okay. And people are like, what? The universe already exists? And they're like, no, we're going to scrub it. Like we're going to scrub all, all this stuff when we're done. So right. you guys get a fresh thing. This is just us testing the program, make sure it's all there, you know? And, um, and I think there was even like some people that like got into the game like early. So they had to like scrub the universe, like on launch or yeah. something, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. But, no, there were some people who got early release copies and they were generating things and, and yeah. they didn't like what they generated. And so they had to scrub it <laughs> at release. That was a whole fiasco as well. Yeah. 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 And, and so it, just everything about the launch and like I said, once you start poking a couple holes in some major subjects, everything is subject to scrutiny and there was scrutiny all, all around regardless of justification for that level of scrutiny or had that existed in a bubble. Like I said, had, you know, Oh, the creatures are only generated on your computer when you discover that planet um, and then we upload them and then that is the creature that exists on that planet for everyone. So you're doing the procedural generation and whatnot and, and whatnot. It's like, okay, that's not what you told us, but I'll accept that. That's totally cool because it's still procedurally generated. It's still a random universe. If that was the biggest lie that it, no one would have cared, but there were so many false truths, half truths, um, the the E3 presentation before launch, like six months before launch, had uh, what's his name, Sean, I think his name was, standing yeah. on stage doing a demo of the game, which was a pre-recorded video. 
Yeah. Because they didn't have the game ready. Right. Yeah, and again, I think that just ties into the whole fiasco of like Sony, Sony's publishing deal and all that sort of stuff. I don't know. My 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 whole thing. And I blame Sony for all of this. I don't blame Hello Games for a bit. Well, that's the thing. It's like the Hello Games knew what they were about and knew what they wanted to do. And, you know, the whole point of the game, you know, it came out of a, an argument that Sean, uh, I think his name is Sean Murray, right? Or something like Sean that. Sean Murray, yeah. There you he go. had uh, he had like an argument with somebody. <laughs> he had an argument with somebody who was like, well, you can't, you know, create an algorithm that has this many, you know, planets in it. And he's like, what? Yeah, you can. <laughs> and that's how the game was born. Right. Um, it was like, absolutely, Try. I can do it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's really, you know, that's why I would say it's like kind of a glorified tech demo because that sort of way it is. Obviously, right. it's so much more now. Right. Um, and if you guys haven't played it, it's definitely worth it now, especially if you get it on sale. I would agree. Um, and uh, you, like just building things. You know, one thing about the game, and this is one thing a lot of people didn't enjoy about it that I really did, is people are saying like, it's so boring. I'm so lonely and blah, 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 blah. Oh, man, I love when a game captures that feeling really well. Like, yeah, Minecraft always kind of had that early on, and you just get this nice ambient music. Oh, also the procedural soundtrack in No Man's Sky, really. Yes, cool. um, that was good. Yeah, I, th I think that's a a, um, a uh, what do you call it? Like a post rock band. I think they're called like Sixty Five Days of Static. Yeah, um, they are on a podcast talking about it. A podcast called The Sound Test. Mm -hmm. If anybody wants to look into that, it's pretty cool. But. Uh, but the loneliness, like Minecraft had that with the ambient soundtrack and you're just walking through this like huge empty world. Freaking Breath of the Wild captured that so well for me too. Yes. Like oh. people complain about Breath of the Wild feeling so empty. That's like my favorite part about that game is like- You're alone. It feels- That was part right. of it. Right. This you're is walking. a broken world. Yes, exactly, man. And the soundtrack is so good for Breath of the Wild. Like I love just the departure from like the typical sort of like Zelda- vibe that they go forward yeah and it's so much more just like intimate with that with that dry piano and all that sort of stuff like it just oh it's so good yeah um and there's a I lot agree. of games that, that capture it pretty well but those are the ones that i always think of anyways when i'm playing no man's sky yep all right it's about 15 past the hour uh um, we got one quick little blurb uh beavis and butthead coming back to comedy central how about that? Did you ever watch Beavis and Butthead? Uh, yeah. Back you in know, the day? Yeah, and I had like this Sega Genesis game and stuff. And, yep, um, yep. Yeah, my, most of my exposure to it was through the movie. Uh, I never okay, really yeah. watched the show that much. Yeah, I watched it a little bit when it was on MTV. Um, even though I was like the target demographic for it, it was never really my jam. Yeah. Um, like... This is no offense to Beavis and Butthead or the writers or the creators. I'm sure you're all fantastic and funny and brilliant people. But clever is always funnier than crude. And I've always found Beavis and Butthead to be more crude than funny. Or crude yeah. in the sake of being funny. Yeah. Um, and uh, so it was a cultural phenomenon, as they appropriately put it here in this article. Um, yeah. But but I, I it was never really my jam. Right. And the kind of the interesting thing back then is like there wasn't really anything like it. So I think that's part of like why it was so popular. Right. This predates, you know, American Dad, Futurama. You know, it was kind of in this. I'm 90 percent sure it predates South Park, right? Like, uh, yes, it does. Yeah. Predates South Park. It was uh, uh, it's 
after Simpsons had started, but Simpsons was kind of in its like fourth season lull or something like that. Well, and and, and the Simpsons was much more like down to earth, right? Like and clever, <laughs> right. you know, like clever, not crude, like you said. Obviously, right. it had its crude parts, but yeah. But uh, Tony, yeah, uh, Beavis and Butthead coming back. Not only Beavis and Butthead, but potential spinoffs has been signed on for a two-season release. So they're like serious about doing this. It's not just a single season that's been signed. Like, give us 10 episodes and then we'll decide what we want to do with you. It's no, give us like 48 episodes kind of thing. Um, so they're kind of doubling down on this. And uh, the article makes a point of saying it makes a lot of sense right now to look more at animated features than it does to look at live action because yeah. of the current situation we're all in. Yeah. And that current situation has halted the production of hundreds of different TV shows and film. And uh, whereas animators, if you've got a, a, you know, a nice graphics tablet at home and why not, you can draw to your heart's content, you can render, you can do whatever yep. you need. You know, the studio, you know, when it comes to equipment, money's no object. And so, you know, you need a $5,000 workstation to, to create this. Here you go. It's kind of interesting when like real world things have like ripple effects in our shows and entertainment. Like one mm -hmm. thing I always think about was like the writer's strike in the 2000s. Uh, like think about all the shows that you watched that had shortened seasons or like bad episodes or right. whatever because of this writer's strike. Like the honking. Yeah. <laughs> this is going to have like a ripple effect. And I think we're going to see more more animated shows, and that's kind of been the consensus of a lot of people. I'm not mm -hmm. obviously inventing that, but but uh, yeah, I, I think that's exciting and kind of fun. I mean, there's a lot of great animated TV out there. We'll see how Beavis and Butthead does. It sounds like they're taking a heart, like they're not going to try to make it what it was. They're going to try and keep it modern and stuff. Right. So um, yeah, yeah, check that always, out. Always interested to see something come around, you know, 25 years later, and how does it play with this audience? Yeah. Because there were certain things with that audience that I don't think would play too well with this audience. Right. Well, what's interesting in the article flat out says like they're going to try to kind of go for like uh, the Gen Z humor and things like that. So right. we'll see. We'll see what Is they do. Butthead going to be flossing in the middle of the street. <laughs> uh, oh, God. Was, was that ever funny? <laughs> no. <laughs> Great Cornholio flossing. That's all we need. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that is going to do it for episode 139 here on Talking Heads. Thank you guys so much for watching. And I, I really do mean this so much for your support throughout the day. Uh, I've received, I, I literally mean thousands of kind words from you. Um, I, I read every single YouTube comment of which there were 370, I think at last count. Um, I read every single one and, and I greatly appreciate all, but like two of you. <laughs> so, and that's kind of rare for a comment section. So you guys are absolutely <laughs> awesome. Uh, you guys are the reason that I'm able to make this decision, that it was a, a viable decision to make. Um, so I'm definitely venturing into a bit of the unknown. Um, I think I have a, well, I know I have a great support system here in my wife and my family. Um, and I think I have a good support system professionally, fiscally, you know, et cetera. So I think it's going to work, but 
Only time will tell, and thank you for sticking around. Uh, join the Patreon. Link is down in the video description, and I believe Skull was so kind as to provide a link as well. Uh, you're literally helping me keep the lights on around here now, so I really do appreciate it. Um, minimum of $1 donation per month. We charge per video that I post, but you can set whatever monthly maximum that you want. Uh, and that is the only way to get access to my Discord server, where you can chat with myself, Rhett, John, Steve, the whole crew at Talking Heads, and the 170-some-odd people that are on the Discord. Um, and and it, I know I've preached about this week in, week out. It's the best Discord server I've ever been on, and I am so proud that it is my community. Um, you guys are awesome. Keep, keep keeping it awesome. And... Uh, yeah, go join it. Uh, Rhett, you can follow Rhett at Rhett is awesome on Twitter. Also at Game Devs Quest on Twitter uh, to uh, keep up with his latest uh, happenings in the, the world of game dev or political talk, as he usually is. Uh, often, yeah. Often, uh, given the current climate, yes. Uh, it can't be helped. Yes. Follow me on Twitter at Craft Computing. Make sure to like this video. Subscribe to Craft Computing if you haven't done so already, although you probably wouldn't be watching the show if you haven't already subscribed. If you are, how dare you? Uh, and I think that's going to do it for us. Rhett, any final thoughts? No, sir. Just congratulations to you and uh, looking forward to the increased number of videos from craft computing personally. So that's right. Uh, yeah, working on a good one now. So, uh, yeah, if you like craft computing, get used to about double of it. Sorry. I can't change my face <laughs> anyway. Thank you guys so much for watching. And as always, Cheers. we'll see you next week.